Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. I know Kevin Williamson, and I know Andrew Sullivan. Neither man is a racist. Um, the, the assertion that they are is a gross misrepresentation of who they are as human beings and is a deplorable downgrading of the notion of racism that good and decent people should be offended by. But what actually happens is, and I suspect on some level it's because people aren't actually reading the shit that he writes anymore, because at this point your job is to say, if you're a respectable pundit, this is amazing. Oh my God, Tani E.C. Coates wrote something and it's the best thing I've ever read. Are you fucking kidding? Have you never read anything in your life? Like nothing? Not even a tweet from some 13-year-old? We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. My name is Camille Foster. I am talking exceptionally fast, and I do all kinds of extraordinary things at Freethink. This is take two, because the first time we did it, Jack screwed up the engineering. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Jack. Jack's all right. Wow. He is all right. He's fine. The kids kids are all right. Um, But but I am joined here. As per normal, by it, was that the sound of the Adderall kicking in? Like the <laughs> difference between that take one and take two mm-hmm. that happened a little while. Amazing! Ago. Mm-hmm. It's um, like a medical experiment. The, the voice that you hear is Matt Welch. Matt Welch is the uh, one of two editors at large at a publication by the name of Reason. Uh, that other voice that you heard is the uh, the deep baritone. <laughs> The gravelly, deep baritone of uh, one Anthony Fisher, contributor to numerous media publications of note and respectability. Um, and he uh, has a wonderful piece that is supposed to be appearing, at least I think it's wonderful, um, later on this week or something. And maybe he'll tease that for us. And our very good friend, Michael Moynihan, who does various things for HBO's Vice News Tonight, as well as the Vice on HBO program uh, was dispatched to D.C. at the very last minute. So he may be calling in a little later, Um, but we're here. And gentlemen, I'm delighted that we're here since we missed uh, our connection last week for various reasons. So how the hell are you? I'm doing well. It's good to have you and your voice back. It's mostly. That's right. Mostly. It's still a little jacked up at this point. You know, I I want a shout out to all of the uh, fifth column listeners out there who, who came out to watch Camille do some masterful yes. emceeing at the yeah. Comedy Cellar at the uh, at the Fire Free Speech event with uh, Andrew Sullivan and Jonathan Haidt and Jeffrey Sachs, not that Jeffrey Sachs, and uh, the <laughs> Pen America lady. Who's Suzanne Nossel. Whose name Suzanne I Suzanne Nossel. Yes. Um, great debate. And, super great uh, debate, yeah, right? Yeah, everybody, really everybody made great points, even though I might have been tilting to one side the whole way. Uh, they, they were <laughs> intrigued. They were, no, they, they, I was, I was, I found compelling points on, from all four speakers, and as for really me, did, and yeah. and most importantly, at the very end of the entire thing, which you can now at least listen to, Fire put it up. I retweeted yes. it out there on my account. Camille, I'm sure did as well. I certainly I did. did. Uh, today, um, you can uh, listen to it. But someone shouted out, Fred Gollum! Like that. <laughs> totally, totally above board. Not just that. I, yeah. So I, I uh, went down. To, I was at since the last time we've uh, talked together. In a live situation, I was on the Bill Maher uh, uh, program, and a great friend of mine from high school, who was always the guy who played in bands uh, with names like Opaque Window and mm. whatever, he's got an 80s cover band that plays in this uh, garbage uh, at Long Beach bar <laughs> called Gallagher's Irish Bar. And, and he had uh, uh, emailed me uh, or DM'd me 
a couple months ago because their normal lead singer is not going to be around. I'm like, are you, are you gonna, by any chance going to be in town on like Cinco de Mayo? I was like, I could be. Uh, and I mentioned this on Twitter like the day before or the day of, I forget what. And we had a fifth column listener come out and listen to me sing 80s covers uh. in a bar in Long Beach. So, oh, wow. Uh, so uh, thanks to all of that. And whoever gave uh. us this fucking fire whiskey dragon breath so can you juice. can you read that bottle can you so tell us what that is it Matt? says balcones uh i presume this is a radley balcone b-l-a-l-c-o-n-e-s balcones true blue cask strength and they're not lying about that i think it's an iron cask yes they're saying straight corn whiskey straight corn which i i mean i don't i don't know anything about alcohol so you know to the extent that straight corn whiskey is a thing and so people I mean, are very familiar corn? with it <laughs> but I'll tell you what. <laughs> Damn it! So I, I was trying. I, 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 this this, hap- this happens from time to time, but I have to sometimes remind Camille what proof means in terms of alcohol. I don't. And, I have and, no idea what you're talking about. So yeah, this is sixty-eight percent, sixty-eight point three percent alcohol by volume, which yeah. makes it approximately one hundred thirty-six proof, which is strong. Eighty proof is usually what we kind of do in this room. So after one gulp of this, everybody was retching, and uh, I took I took my first sip a good minute later, and uh, they they weren't lying. They were my not chest no. is uh, is like that uh, that volcano in Hawaii, mm. right? The new fissures mm-hmm. are opening up. Yeah, the nineteenth fissure, melting small cars. I mean, it is a it is a, it is a very very serious uh, beverage, mm. um, and it was sent to us by a gentleman by the name of Dan Dan Higgins. Um, Dan, thank you very much for this very kind gesture. Your life is, uh, our lives sure are in your you, hands I'm tonight, sure you Dan. spent a lot of money um, for this. Uh, in Dan's email, he actually describes this um, particular beverage as a beast, which oh, I suppose makes That's him, helpful. makes him a racist in exactly the same way Donald Trump is for using the word animal. Speaking All right. Of race. See the wow, transition. Really? Yeah. He did that. Boom. But since, but also since the uh-huh. last time we convened, you went on PBS and confessed your non-blackness, well, if I'm that's, not mistaken. It's actually, this was recorded some time ago, and I'd mentioned Whatever. it when I Whatever. went down to record it, but it did broadcast on Friday. Um, and yeah, I sit down, and the very first question that Amy Holmes asks is... So, Camille, you have some pretty unconventional, some might even say radical views on race. Are you black? And you know what's funny? I don't open with that in most cases these right. days because I find that it's just distracting for people. A little bit. Um, it's a little bit confusing. Uh, but yeah, she asked. I answered. Um, people tend to invest racial labels with a lot of uh, meaning. Um, as a general rule, I don't self-identify as black. The notion that black is a concrete, particular species of person Um, is not something that I prescribe to, and it's certainly not something that's supported by what we know about biology and genetics. Um, So I'm a human being, I'm an American, I'm a father, a brother, a husband, I'm all sorts of great things, uh, but I don't see any particular value in in investing something in that particular label. Um, Well, it's just not something that I, I, it's not something that I've ever given much value to, um, at least in my adult life, as I've taken the time to sort of consider what it means to be a black person in America. But I, I gave the, the full answer. I thought the appearance was uh, was actually quite good. I was pleased with it. Um, Did you make new friends smart. on the PBS uh, uh, viewing public? You know what? There? It's it's funny. Um, after it aired, I made more friends than I did before it aired. Um, before it aired, when the when they shared 
just a little clip of me saying, yeah, I don't identify as black. I'm all sorts of wonderful things and I don't have to identify as black. Um, I was ridiculed. The funny thing about the way that usually plays out is it's mostly people who kind of look like me, folks who self-identify as black. And what they're doing is, is insisting that while I may not self-identify as black, the as soon as I get pulled over, yes. the cops will you know, do something awful to me and I will realize how black I really am. Um, and it is it is a situation where I, I always find myself a little perplexed by it because for the most part, I just keep winning at life, at everything. <laughs> Despite the fact that I've decided not to self-identify by a, a, a racial identity that is prescribed for me, that slaveholders would prefer that I actually trafficked in. So like race, race is a fiction created by people who were justifying an institution, slavery, that they were really big fans of. Like Did it it's, not exist it's an imaginary as, concept. Was it? I mean, the, the reification of, of, of race, the, the prevailing ideas, the notions of sort of blackness and whiteness, like those evolved out of the slave trade in the West. Which, as we know, Camille, uh -huh. has evolved out of um, the Constitution and capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> That's sarcasm there. I went. Yeah. It's, so it's, I just actually... want to be sure that it's clear because it's not always obvious to people. Um, effective sarcasm. I was on MSNBC yeah. this uh, uh, past Sunday, and there was a segment that you would hate, uh, Camille, because mm. it was about how things that happen in places like Starbucks uh, might be examples of uh, sort of institutional racism and such. <clears throat> and I was one of four panelists, uh, the only one uh, uh, who you could probably describe as white uh, there. <laughs> and everyone went around and, and like the uh, the conclusion was mostly uh, just that you know it's it's horrible that we live in this in this uh, racist place, and I brought up the a point without getting into it too much that uh, and it was we're talking specifically about a, a police abuse case I believe in Pennsylvania. Was this the old woman who was pulled over? No, this is a oh. a, a young uh, guy who was choked pretty uh, aggressively by. Mm. And it wasn't it wasn't even uh, Pennsylvania. I think it was Georgia. It was a small town actually. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, choked pretty aggressively by a guy who had a known history of being pretty violent. And the so, police officer. Yes. Yeah. And I made the point that, oh, I, I will without knowing much about the case, I will guarantee that there's a strong police union uh, there behind it and uh -huh. some rules. And if you want to, uh, if this society exists the way that you present it, the best way to defang it is to deprive the tools that allow bad people to act in a bad way and this kind of stuff. So, uh, all fine. Um, person who was on the panel there, uh, Dr. Uh, Christine, I believe, uh, Greer, who I've been done a lot of TV with. I like her a lot. She wrote a book um, whose name I'm blanking on. It came out about five, six years ago um, that uh, I think you might have read, uh, Camille, uh, uh, kind of gets into different ways of being black. Hmm. Um, but she... Uh, uh, her recitation of the racism problem was like, well, you know, this is just fundamental to capitalism and everything. And I, <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have time to to go down the rabbit hole, but afterwards, and and uh, again, we're friendly. Uh -huh. I was just like, why you always got to do the capitalism? You know, why you know, capitalism's fine. You don't have to say that it's all because of capitalism. Was her book Black Ethnics? Yes, Black Ethnics. Race, immigration, and the pursuit of the American dream. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. I have definitely not yeah, read that uh, book. Uh, but she gets into. <clears throat> she would actually be an interesting person for you to uh, to engage with. Mm -hmm. uh, out there in the world because uh, she does 
uh, when I told her about your craziness, she was very interested and didn't immediately call you Uncle Tom. And uh, oh, and, and that's went nice. And, yeah, yeah, that's um, unusual and nice progress. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> one <you> know, day <laughs> it's it's funny how when you set when you uh, spread it out because the clip that you put online was like the first clip they put is about a minute long, uh-huh. and then presumably you're the part in the show that you discussed, it was yes, more like the rest four- of the exposition. I mean, it was actually like a 15, 20 minute appearance. So we, we got to unpack some, some things. Um, and I was quite pleased with sort of the, the full contextualization. Um, but it is interesting because I saw, um, Anna Navarro had a tweet earlier this week that I, um, I retweeted with comment where she describes two men arrested for waiting at a Starbucks. Police called on a Yale student for sleeping. Elderly driver was sworn at, dragged out of her car by three police for swerving into the wrong lane. They were all black. America, what is happening to our country? And this is a very popular tweet. At the time of our discussion here, it's 15.2 thousand retweets, 33.9 thousand likes on Twitter. Very, very popular. My rejoinder didn't do nearly as well. But in every single one of those cases, it is entirely possible, as I said about the Starbucks thing before, that these are all very serious, concrete examples of racial discrimination. Um, It's also entirely possible that they are not. And her tweet obviously doesn't capture all of the context, the nuance associated with these happenings. Um, It simply can't. Uh, But for her, the most important thing to do is to contextualize these things with respect to one attribute that she's interested in highlighting, race, to suggest that all of this is part of a broader master narrative, that discrimination is endemic, it is everywhere, it is all around us, and that all police abuses, presuming that's what's happening here, are a result of racism, or that there is at least persistent racial police abuses. Um, had she only mentioned like policing and said that there's something a little weird about the police being overzealous or that it's weird for cops to pull older people out of trucks and to yell at them and swear at them, I might have like retweeted that and said, yeah, Anna's right. We should do something about this. There should be transparency and accountability and police should respect citizens. But once you realize they're uh, going after black people, you're like, yeah, do it. <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I'm not one of them. No. I think once you assert that what's happening here is racism, um, then I do start to get a little more, eh, really? Are you sure? And the reason is because while there is an intense interest in making certain that we catch every single instance of something that might be super racist, we want to catch them all and rebroadcast them and say, no, no, totally racism. Look, this is the worst thing. Here are all the examples of all the worst possible things imaginable. And we have no concern whatsoever for misclassification. We have no concern whatsoever for exaggeration. It's as if that doesn't have any consequences and it does have consequences. It is meaningful when you get that kind of thing wrong. This is, this is when I have to make my confession. Go for it. Here. Now this is going to get me in trouble both with libertarians and Wokatarians or or planet woke uh, out here. There's some Wokatarians too. Yeah. Here's here. Here's what happened this week. Mm. I called the cops on a bunch of black kids. Is that right? I totally did. What were I they doing? Totally, totally did. What were they uh, doing? So, <clears throat> um, sitting out front in my uh, my front yard, uh, uh, reading uh, my John McCain book, and uh, reading your own book. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have been thumbing it through right. Uh, right. recently. Just wanted to clarify. Just. <laughs> 
you know, smoked out McCain with gusto. Uh, um, uh, no, uh, so I was reading the book, uh, seeing what's interesting in there, and there's plenty, and we might get to some of it later. Um, and a bunch of kids who got off high school, uh, presumably, um, a throng of about 20, uh, are over just across the street in the corner, loud, yucking up. This is not an unusual thing uh, at all. What is unusual in this case um, is that they start fighting. Um, hmm. uh, fighting, uh, and everyone's like, oh, it's sort of like, you know, a playground fight behind mm-hmm. the backstop uh, situation. Everyone's egging everyone on, and uh, it gets out into the street in front of an oncoming car that has to swerve, and this kind of, it's getting to be a dangerous situation. Sure. And they're also right in front of a subway stop. And they were really black, is what um, you're saying. Uh, that happens to be true. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you would recognize him as such, but uh, but that was the the predominant hue. Uh, and so I walked over there. I was pissed. I was like, you know, don't fight in my neighborhood. Oh, you spoke to them, Matt. Oh, I no. Here, <laughs> I, that's what I was going through my head in oh. the tough guy routine. <laughs> He's never going to speak to them. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, but I so I stood up. I crossed the street. I got about there, uh, about uh, two thirds of the way there, uh-huh. and realized I'm one person against twenty. All twenty really like this fight. Um, and I can't, in good conscience, with two kids, get in the middle of 20 people. I can get in the middle, middle of like 10, mm-hmm. 8 to 10, mm-hmm. uh, depending. And, and half I them wouldn't were, recommend it. Half of them are girls, and they're just cheering it on. They think uh-huh. it's great. Uh, so, you know, you can, in a smaller crowd, you can pick your spots, and you can figure out, you know, which girl to kick in the face or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you, you figure out your way to, to do it. But mm-hmm. there's too many, and if any of them have any kind of uh, assistance to their fists, uh-huh. I'm screwed. And even, and even if they, like, if they turn on me, I'm screwed. I hate that. I mm-hmm. hate it uh, within uh, within an inch of my life. And I went back uh, uh, home, and I'm like, shit, am I going to sit here and actually call, call the cops? They're still fighting, uh-huh. right? It's still the and, thing. And disrupting traffic, disrupting potentially traffic, causing and, and accidents. And like freaking people out as of they're course. as they're taking their kids uh, uh, to and from school and on, on the subway. And it kind of, it just sucks. Uh-huh. And like, and really happy to be doing this in broad daylight in a kind of a brazen uh, uh, manner. And I went inside and, and I talked to my wife. She said, yeah, they did the exact same thing yesterday. Uh-huh. Same corner, also a fight. Sure. And everyone uh, 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 cheering it on. So I called the cops. I called the cops. Did they Camille. materialize? Immediately. Um, oh. And that's and that was also part of the calculation. If I was in Long Beach, where I uh, come from, a suburban kind of Southern California, I would not have done that. Hmm. The yeah. Long Beach police force, when I was there especially, they were actually a, a, a hell of a lot more tangibly uh, racist in my experience. But it's not that. They're just like they're from <laughs> far away. They're not neighborhood cops. Mm-hmm. Like there's a neighborhood cops in the neighborhood, the precincts right around the corner. Mm-hmm. They know how everything works. I know they would show up and they wouldn't like engage in a hysterical use of force. They would say, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what they did. They showed up. They said, get the fuck out of here. Everyone dispersed. Uh-huh. Like there wasn't an egregious use of force. But I started thinking my sort of libertarian dumb, how many times a day, like never call the cops. You know, even if you're struggling mm-hmm. at home, they're going to like choke you out or do something terrible. Yeah. And I was the guy. I was yeah. the libertarian who called the cops. And all those kids happen to be black, Camille. So mm-hmm. indict me for racism. I won't do that. All right, Fisher, you do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do that either. I, the, I'm, the, the, I'm glad that I'm glad that no one. I'm here glad is the cops didn't come and shoot you. Is, 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 uh, that's my libertarian take they, on that. They right? did ask me. Yeah. The 911 yeah. uh, uh, gal was like, uh, "Do you think they're armed?" I'm like, I, "They're almost certainly not. They're just high school kids, mm-hmm. and they're just they're just know, being like, awful. They're just being awful. They're being awful humans." And look, I mean, uh, you you encounter you did encounter I do the right folks thing. like that. That's what I want to know. I, I mean, want, if I they were endangering people, they, they you, went out in front of the traffic. Judge, and, and yeah. Yeah. Even, 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 even with, even with kids, probably not a bad idea to make a call. Even with kids, fights 
that go longer than 10 seconds are dangerous. <laughs> you know, like usually, sure. usually a fight is just like ridiculous. It's like a couple flailing. But when it goes on, if it goes on long enough for you to think about it and go back to your house, it's a pretty bad scene yeah, probably. It kept, it yeah, it kept going. Yeah, and I mean, if they if they've been doing it for days, then this also suggests that it's it's probably worth getting involved. That there's a whole there's a whole conversation that I that I want to have but won't have um, about like culture and about the desire to to provoke a reaction uh, amongst certain people. Ooh. Um, and I'm not I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's gonna, it sounds kind of just going to set it aside for the moment. No, it's 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 actually I mean, it's culture. It's not the same thing as race. It's the no, I, this, which would be the second which would be the second time in like less than five days that when I've made a reference to culture, which is specifically like the the behaviors and attitudes that are common to some group of people that allow them to sort of signal to one another that they are sort of friendly or enemies or whatever. There is a spectrum of, of norms that are not particularly good or healthy. Um, and when people see folks manifesting this stuff, I would advise them not to go over and politely try and negotiate <laughs> a, a settlement and say, hey, you know, the speaker that you carried onto the train with you that's playing your music really loud as opposed to just wearing headphones like a normal human. Uh, could you please turn that down? What he's that saying is, is that not going to work out well for you. Radio Rahim Don't do had it. it coming. That's what I'm hearing. right I now. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Radio Rahim didn't have a Bluetooth speaker. It's a little different. Anyways, uh, now that old man hour is over, <laughs> can we can we do something else? Well, as long as we're referencing I, thirty year old movies and yeah. uh, calling the cops on kids, <laughs> yeah. calling the cops on those damn kids, those damn Felt loud so kids. Good yeah, to be old, not to actually call the cops on anybody. But well, I haven't called the police on anyone, despite despite witnessing many a, crimes, and that's because time. I don't snitch. My last time I called, there was I was witnessing a, a car break in outside my house in the middle of the night a few years ago. I didn't even I couldn't see the race of the of the perpetrators. Um, you just presumed I, it. I did not. I just said they're they're here. They're taking their time. You might if you get here quickly, you might yeah. catch them in the act. <laughs> you know. So one more theft story. Mm. I'm walking down the street with my buddy. And it's like eleven o'clock in the afternoon. He's like staying overnight with us, and we're going to get breakfast uh, in Bedsty. And I see a kid like working on a bike chain, and I mean, he is just working on that bastard. Like he he's like sweating. He wipes his brow, and it's like clear frustration. He's a little irritated that it won't come off a little easier. And I said, "Oh man!" Like to myself, I think I said he must have you know just forgot his code because who's so brazen to on Lewis? Like at a at a at ten thirty in the morning with people all over the place to actually steal this lock, and he's you know frustrated. He lines it up, he stretches it out, and then he stands up and he just brings his foot down real hard. Finally, it pops, and it pops, and the kickstand goes in one direction, and the lock goes in another direction, and he casually hops on the bike and just rides away. Of course, leaving just discarding the chain right there on the ground. And I said, "Oh shit, he just stole that bike." I didn't do anything about it. I just watched him steal this bike in broad daylight. That's because you're a better libertarian than me. And I didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, you know, and there was, I think this was a, a Casey Neistat uh, video where he showed how easy it is to steal a bike in New York, where he, you know, he bought the locks and staged bikes and himself went with, you know, bolt cutters, uh, a hacksaw and just stole bikes in broad daylight all over New York City. <laughs> because nobody will say anything. Nobody did a thing. Yeah. Uh, like, like, you know, and, and he, you know, he kept up in his game. He would take longer. He would bring more, you know, uh, you know, intrusive weapon. Like. I've decided like next time, next time I see something like that happening, I will say, dude, <laughs> my nigga, what's up? 
That's my bike. Where are you going with my bike? (laughs) Which at a minimum, that ought to make him stop and say, uh, 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 or he'll say, dude, this is my bike. It's my bike. I forgot the friggin' code. Who are you? Which, you know, which case is, oh, you're good. There's no problem. But otherwise, next time, that's my bike. So I just felt a little bad about that. Now I've admitted the truth. Um, but perhaps we should talk about something else. Let's other than other let's than lighten the mood and, and talk about Israel shooting a bunch of Palestinians at the gate. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, just because Fisher's here, he pays attention to it. He uh, is going to outrage uh, Thaddeus Russell, regardless of what he says. He's yeah. half half Jewish, so he can weigh in on these things. I'm actually not half Jewish, but I might, oh, as, I might as well full, be. I'm a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent Israeli by marriage. Which is, <laughs> is and, that how it works? I no, mean, no, it's not how it works. But, but it, you might, oh. it might as well. I mean, at this point, yeah, I'm, you could still be an anti-Semite. So why don't you do your best? All my Catholic family is thousands of miles away, <laughs> and uh, there's just as much Hebrew spoken in my home as English at this point. So yeah, oh, I'm beyond honorary. Yeah. Which means it, it's just grunting in his home. <laughs> That's just grunting and screaming. This week we have uh, a couple of different things happening mm-hmm. in in Israel, um, we have the movement of the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Yes, it's an interim, um, and it's it's an interim really, embassy. Yeah, maybe I think they spent like $400,000 essentially to move the ambassador, some security staff there to put a new plaque on the building. Yes. But this is a, this is a big deal because for the longest time, the, uh, the United States has been reluctant to acknowledge Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Every country um, has been reluctant to acknowledge yes. Israel. Uh, well, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. But apparently with the United States doing this, there are some other folks who have indicated that they may in fact follow suit. Um, and this happens against the backdrop of what has been several weeks, actually, of Palestinian activities on the border, um, where groups of people are either protesting, demonstrating, or perhaps running at the border. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm saying, or perhaps because all of these things seem to be happening at the same time in some cases, yes. uh, in some cases, storing rocks, in other cases, starting fires. There has been reports of a guy with an AK-47 who was like shooting down Israeli drones. There's been all kinds of stuff. Even uh, I even saw reports of someone flying a flag that had Nazi swastikas on it. Um, and it appears to have been a confirmed <laughs> story. NP- yeah, yeah, it was, it, yeah, this was in uh, in NPR. So it's been it's been a bit crazy. What's it's called the uh, the Nakba, which is what the Palestinians call it, which they celebrate on the fifteenth. Which, as Fisher's, I knew it meant the catastrophe. Yeah. I I'm know. Talking to the listeners, I know you know. Okay, good, because I know a lot of things about this, <laughs> and this is the He's thing. Trying to flaunt knowledge. Actually, no, I am. Jesus. There's, there's no notes. There's, the boy is just flowing, yeah. and this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing, Fisher. I, I set this up because I'm I'm familiar with a lot of the details of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Mm-hmm. And whereas my libertarian instincts like lead me in various directions when it comes to foreign policy stuff, I constantly find myself wanting to avoid talking about this particular topic mm-hmm. like the fucking plague. Yeah, this is like the way I am with guns. I guess Israel Palestine is it's, with you. It's so crazy. I mean, everyone everyone seems to have made their mind up about this stuff completely mm-hmm. and totally. Yep. I, lis- I listened to John Pod Horowitz earlier this week, actually, on his podcast. I like the commentary podcast. Even when I disagree with them, I enjoy it. I like listening to their mm-hmm. conversations. Probably it is the, I suspect, among the more enlightened kind of conservative offerings of perspective that one can find. Um, and they are all decidedly in the pro-Israeli camp. Mm-hmm. The Palestinian um, the Hamas is getting people to do this stuff that is against their interests. They're the bad guys here, and the Israelis have to defend themselves from from 
a group of people who are trying to come across the border, some of them with stated, explicit, murderous intent. Mm-hmm. That is, there's a version of that that is almost certainly true. Um, but what I've also noticed, Fisher, uh, and I'll stop this setup because I want you to weigh in, is that I read accounts of Israeli politicians talking about the actions that they've taken in response to the threats mm-hmm. on the border, and they are so casual. Mm -hmm. They are so unapologetic. There seems to be so little restraint in some of their descriptions of what's happening here that 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 it makes me very uncomfortable. Nikki Haley today taking their side on anything. Nikki Haley at the United Nations today said, who among us would not do what Israel did? They showed restraint. Yeah, no. I've seen video of people running away from the wall with their backs turned being shot. And then you hear you get statements from Israeli politicians saying our people did everything right. If the conversation was this is really difficult, it's hard to mm-hmm. toe the line between being to, to between exercising sufficient restraint and doing what's appropriate to keep our people safe. It's just painting in black and white was on all that. sides. It was and it's very that. frustrating. Yes. So, I mean, I, I, I could. It really, honestly, the way to go about this conversation is who do you want me to piss off first? <laughs> that, always that. Yeah, because, um, you know, I'm, I, guess, I guess if I'm going to piss off Thad, I'm going to say something like this. I believe Israel has a right to exist. Right. I'll start with that. Mm-hmm. Thad, Thad's head's probably exploding right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people would say, well, it's a colonial state. It uh, was born through uh, people being nationalist, yeah, well, people being mo- moved from their homes, you know, war- and as though no other wars in the early 20th century were involved, the movement of borders or the movement of entire peoples. Mm-hmm. Like, so literally every fake state in South Asia <laughs> and the middle in the Middle East that where people were moved left to right, north to south mm-hmm. should be not legitimate by that standard. Um, Terrible things were done uh, by the Israelis during the uh, War of Independence. Terrible things were done to the Israelis in the War of Independence. Mm -hmm. You know, you could make the claim that the uh, Balfour Declaration itself was illegitimate, but, you know, how far back are we going to go? You know, where, 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 where do we say at some point this thing happened and also the Holocaust happened, which created a whole, you know, rush of refugees to that area to fulfill this plan that they had had for about a century. Um, and yeah, a war took place and, and peace was always a, a two state solution was always on the table. So now I've pissed off that side. I've pissed off the libertarians there. Mm-hmm. Um, as anyone who's followed my work over the last few years knows, I'm willing to piss off, you know, my own family with my crazy takes that include things like if you're occupying people, you should always be pursuing peace. You should always be pursuing an end to that occupation. Mm-hmm. You have a response. You have an absolute moral responsibility to end this status quo. Now, I know that they have been uh good faith actors to the best that they can be as an occupying power, uh, offering 97% of the West Bank and Gaza and a contingent uh, uh, Palestinian state. These are these are things that were on the table as recently as 10 years ago when Olmert was the prime minister. And at every turn, you know, I guess the best hope was when uh, Arafat was negotiating with I guess it was uh, Barack at that point, Ehud Barak, uh, when the, the end of the Clinton administration, there was that last ditch deal where Clinton basically got the deal together and Arafat kind of walked off mumbling about, uh, well, right of return. If, if, if all if every Palestinian who uh, makes a claim that they were uh, kicked out of their home in 1948 and their descendants don't have a right to return to those homes in present day Israel, then it's no good. And 
That's never going to happen. I know that is something that the pro-Palestinian negotiating side insists upon, but that's just that that is that is a, as untenable as the Israelis uh, putting up permanent settlements in the West Bank and right. what is the only land available left to have a two-state solution. So I, I'm, I'm already ping-ponging all over the place, but as you can see, I kind of try to hold both sides to some certain sense of responsibility and some sense of morality. Hmm. And with the on the Israeli side, I would I would say, yeah, I know you've been burned a million times. Yeah, I know the whole world hates you, uh, but you still are occupying millions of people. And now you're taking away – now you're basically permanently saying what's left of the land that's available to them is going to be pockmarked by your own settlements that will be permanently guarded by Israeli military. I hear you condemning violence on many sides. I am condemning violence on many sides. So many now, sides. I, so now I've, I've, I've completely scrambled – like I guess just by that little word salad, you know peace is, is the thing I'm rooting for. And I think that Palestinians have a right to exist and have a right to citizenship. And if uh, the Israelis uh, insist on – just saying, hey, we, we, we haven't had a partner in peace. The status quo is good enough for us and we're going to build settlements. I would say you, you, are, you, are, you are earning the title of occupier. You are earning the title of apartheid it, state. It's yeah, not, I was going to say, is it an apartheid state? Absolutely. If millions of people don't have the right to vote, don't have the right to leave, don't have the right to travel – what else could it be? We can't can't import it, various essential goods. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, and even the whole scam, the Gaza scam. So, you know, of all people, Ariel Sharon, one of the fathers of, of the state of Israel, a legit war criminal. He was the last best hope for peace uh, there because he broke from the Likud party, which is the, the party in power right now under Netanyahu, started his own party called Kadima, which means forward in Israel, and grabbed a whole bunch of labor and Likud types and f actually won the election and actually was governing under the pre— and, and Sharon said to the Knesset, I know you don't want to hear this, but it's occupation. Sharon said that in <laughs> 2005. And— He's the one that unilaterally pulled out of Gaza, which was good. Get the settlers out of there. But the idea that a lot of pro-Israeli people will say is that uh, they pulled out of Gaza and look what they got. They got rocket fire. It's like, yeah, they did. They, they did. And, and Hamas is a terrible fascist uh, regime. They, they, we can get into Hamas in a little bit. Yes, no but, objections there. But um, the, the occupation didn't end because if you are still sealing off the borders and the waterways and flying drones and basically have shoot at will orders if anyone gets near that border and you like there is literal this is this is horrible this kills me this kind of thing because as somebody who believes the state of israel has a right to exist it is government policy to have gazans survive on as little as few calories as possible yeah all right and this is this is something that they're not even ashamed of like this is this is they don't talk about it much but it's out in the open that they they want to make life as difficult as possible for gazans under the idea that they will somehow overthrow hamas yeah so they're imposing sanctions on their own population sure I mean, like, they, they, in, in the, the same section yeah. of them yeah, it's the same kind of a mentality like yeah. you know once once they find their conditions to be so terrible then they'll somehow overthrow their yeah. leaders but in a peaceful and good, once they're starving they'll be able to overthrow it's just, these it's just heavily never, armed people this just getting never works Iran. <clears throat> i mean uh, as i mentioned reading the john mccain's book and there's a it's you know uh, a lot of it is thundering against uh, Vladimir Putin, which I, as we all know, agree with. On uh, as a general uh, proposition, we, it bogs down the details. But they talk a lot about the Magnitsky sanctions, mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, like 
The Magnitsky sanctions, which target very specific human beings and oligarchs and government officials um, and saying you can't do your business or your banking in our country and maybe in our uh, uh, you know friendly allied countries, targeted. Mm-hmm. We're not going to try to starve a population into changing their leaders. Right. You go after the you oligarchs. You go after the oligarchs. Directly, try to make it painful for them. And, uh, and, and Putin hates these things and responded to them in many senses, much more sharply than um, he did to broader sanctions against his own country. And of course, and there's this like this available lesson to, to everybody out there, like stop these kind of like, let's impose sanctions against country sanctions because they, the literature has shown almost exclusively that they don't work. They get undermined very quickly. They also starve people. That's not a small thing. Like yeah. don't remember, remember, remember Iraq. That wasn't good. <laughs> we shouldn't try to do that. Um, but also like go after the actual corrupt leaders out there. So, so just break. You know, if I, if I if I may now, you know, throw some shade and get and now get everybody else on the other side pissed off at me. You go, know, they, they, they're it, literally there, there haven't been honest brokers um, on the Palestinian leadership side of things. So, right. you know, so let's take basically let's, the, the, the three most well-known entities. You've got um, Arafat, who was the head of the PLO forever and then the head of the Palestinian Authority until he died in 2004. He was worth billions at his death. And uh, at least that's a, because that's because he's a faithful public servant. At least a billion of that was foreign aid, which he completely took his, of to, to his of his own. And his wife living in exile in, I believe, France uh, when he died, took a great deal of that with her. So must have paid for all those uh, scarves that the French school yeah. kids uh, were on. So his successor, Mahmoud Abbas, he's supposed to be the good one. He was the one, he was the one like uh, in the late uh, when as Arafat was dying. Uh, Sharon wouldn't meet with him, but he would meet with Abbas. And Abbas has been the head of the Palestinian Authority now for 14 years. He's an open, overt anti-Semite and was giving a speech the other day that was straight out of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. He's the good guy. He's the one that's (laughs) supposed to be like acceptable to, you know, an acceptable negotiating partner. And he's corrupt as fuck, too. And there's a reason Hamas won the one election that they were that they that they had in Gaza and and threw the Fatah party out. Mm -hmm. And then those that were left were brazenly murdered by by Hamas. Mm. And there's a reason why Hamas runs Gaza and the Palestinian Authority runs a portion of the West Bank, the portion that Israel allows them to run. So now you got Hamas and Hamas is a death cult. Hamas is a Islamist fascist death cult funded by Iran. And they are. Uh, you know they're they're terrible. If they were in charge of any other state, there'd be there'd be no tears shed for them whatsoever. They they murder their own people, whether they are gay, whether they are suspected of being informants. Like they you know take the IRA and, and the shit they did to the people in Northern Ireland to keep them terrorized and under their thumb and multiply it by you know numerous factors. They uh, it's in their charter that they will never accept not only not only not accept a state of Israel, but not accept any Jews in the state of Palestine. If there was a unified Palestine, they're 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 bad guys, and they are increasingly unpopular with obviously because they've you know they've been in charge for almost a decade in Gaza. Life is just as miserable as ever, and they've this is what they've got left. What they've got left is let's send people to the border, and sometimes those people are innocent people. Or, I mean, it, 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 in the, they are unarmed people who have a right to be protesting, yeah. throwing a rock or two, yeah. maybe even throwing a Molotov cocktail or two at, at one of the most heavily armed militaries in the, on the planet. Yeah. Th- those people are, are pawns who, uh, in both the worst of the Israeli military and the worst of Hamas. Mm-hmm. But let's be also be very clear. 
Hamas themselves said that the majority of the people that were shot this week were Hamas. You know, they, they were part of Hamas. Yeah, I, I was reading the, the New York Times, um, some of the New York Times reporting on this, and they were describing they were describing the the situation where there were folks from Hamas who were telling crowds like run at the fences, go at the fences. The Israelis are retreating from their positions. Yes. While, in fact, the Israelis were reinforcing their positions. Yes. Like they are genuinely using these people as meat, like just throwing them at a meat grinder. They've, they've, they've launched when, when these, when these horrible wars where Israel, you know, in my, in my opinion, goes too far, you know, uh, when, when they, they fire from schools, they fire from hospitals and then they, Israel levels five blocks and kills a hundred innocent people, which is, you know, I, I mean, I guess they're, you know, in the, in the, somebody wrote this today, um, talking about the end of the good war might've been Damon Linker, in the week. And, uh, you know, the, when the, the idea that if in a war, in a good war, there's no such thing as a disproportionate response. You know, if, if, if you got to end world war two, you drop the atom bomb. If you, if you firebomb Dresden in, in this case of Israel and Palestine, even people like me who believe Israel has a right to exist, you know, every, every four years or so when there's a war like this, whether it's in Lebanon or in Gaza, it, it kills me to see how many people are killed and how many of them are innocent. And, also, it kills me to see Israel, which I believe has a moral center, how many people, young men who are conscripts, you know, are just losing their humanity by targeting the innocent. Well, like there, there, were, there, were, there was a video, the, an Israeli soldier posted it himself, you know, laughing at, that he sniped a guy in the stomach last week. Well, I think that the phrase, perhaps the phrase should be ought to have a moral center. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where I do think that the egregious, awful conduct on the other side can very quickly corrupt you. As I said at the very beginning of this, I, I always try to avoid this conversation because I my, my actual interest here is not the two-state solution. It's sort of the infinite state mm-hmm. solution because my anarchist politics lead me there any play, anyways. Um, but in this particular situation it becomes a hell of a lot easier like i don't care about borders or any of that other stuff it just it just seems like there are a lot of egregious compromises being made here and it just seems like a lot of people um are rushing towards conclusions that that satisfy you know their their interests in painting someone as particularly awful yes um without really acknowledging like the the scale of the human tragedy and the the very significant complexity uh, that actually exists in trying to understand this complicated and you know, historic challenge. And I mean, let's, um, let's all be clear that the Trump administration is is doing unprecedented things that that are probably not helpful. Yeah, and, and I know plenty of Israelis who could give a fuck where the U.S. embassy yeah, is. Right? It's not, like, not helpful. It's, it's not. It doesn't change but their let's, life. You know. Let's also be real in that that has been in every Republican Party platform since 1996. I mean, this is sure. like a lot of other that's, things. But there's a true. reason they didn't there's do it. There's a reason it. they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But like, <laughs> there were plenty. Of, there were plenty of pro-Israeli neocons in the Bush administration. But this is they somehow didn't do it. Yeah. This is uh, this is part of the explanation for Donald Trump. Right. Is that he. Uh, we'll look at those things in which the GOP establishment will make insincere gestures towards the populist base. Mm-hmm. And he will say, no, I'm going to do that. If only it was that way about like cutting the deficit or something, because they make all sorts of insincere promises about that. Never do that shit. Yeah, but he never cared. <laughs> yeah. It's just God, he never cared. No, I wish yeah. you would, no, I wish you'd, I, would I, do this I, with, that's foreign, what I want. with foreign policy. I sure. mean, as we've talked about before, 
He's made, um, you know, several comments about Afghanistan uh, that boil down to why the fuck are we there? Yeah, right. That is the actual good question. Uh-huh. And the good answer is that uh, yeah. we shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we send more troops, though. And mm. we send, I mean, with like, what, a, a small number of more, like 2,000 more troops. Sure, but it's a bump up. But right. it's a bump up. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not small. He can't do that thing. It only, uh, it only takes a sad. minor tragedy in a, in a place like that to create a situation where there's just this intense pull, a demand for action on the parts of certain segments of the Trump administration. Um, but and I, that's, that's the, that's the danger always of, uh, of ticking up even by a small amount, the, the, the contingent that the Americans have in a place like Afghanistan. I, th- I think to, just to go back to your previous point though, that the maximalist, uh, positions that everybody is taking uh-huh. not everybody not but everyone a great, but a great, no there's but there's a lot of nuanced perspectives I've, a, I've seen them in the in the the washington post editorial column mm-hmm. um today i thought was actually quite good um I, I think the new york times had one as well uh that was quite good i have to go back and look at my i mean so twitter tw- twitter for me gets unbearable whenever there's an israeli yeah, palestinian flare-up because I got, I got people that i like on many sides who just <laughs> are being assholes and like you said not you know giving an inch or conceding any flaws of the people that they are defending whether they want to defend them or not whether yeah. whether glenn greenwald wants to admit it or not he is running interference for a lot of hamas bullshit when he takes you know all of the claims coming out of that side at face value that every like all 62 of those people were innocent protesters all fleeing the border that's not fucking true the noise of everybody on every side screaming at the top of their lungs becomes really difficult to parse and mm-hmm. i know a lot of people feel that in a moment like this they have to pick a side they have to they, they, they hear like well I've always, I've always understood that israel's our only ally it's the only democracy in the middle east they then they just go down that rabbit hole yeah. and want to hear that side and then they also you know hear that wow these people have been occupied for 50 years, then this, this, there's nothing that can justify that. Everything Israel does must be bloodthirsty, must be totally tied into the military industrial complex. And to, for, for me, like the, the one argument that I think, especially coming from American critics of what's going on right now that makes sense is that we are still the benefactor state to Israel. We, as American taxpayers and voters, we actually have a responsibility to chime in on this stuff and to affect our own government's policies on these, these things. Because we shouldn't be, you know, giving a, you know, however many, I forgot how many, however many billion dollar uh, a, a military aid package Obama signed into law a week to go in his presidency or two weeks to go in his presidency. Netanyahu himself at his first stint as Israeli prime minister came to the U.S. Congress in 1996 and said, guys, it's been a great relationship. It's time to cut the cord. We shouldn't be taking military oh, really? from you. Oh, yeah. I wrote about this for Reason and the Daily Beast. I should read you more often. <laughs> <laughs> Google it. The, uh, yeah. so, so before the U.S. Congress, Netanyahu said it's time for us to it's time for us to go our own way in this sense. We'll always be allies and we'll do deals together. But we don't we don't need your military aid anymore. And you shouldn't have that leverage over us anymore. And yet here we are a little more than two decades later. And there, that leverage is as strong as ever. And it is a, you know, it's basically a, uh, it's a subsidy for the U S military industrial complex. And it ties us into policies that we have no control over. Right. I think that there's also a lesson to be learned there. And both of you touched on it about the kind of corruptions of power, even, you know, defensive power in the minds of the people who are exercising it. Hmm. Um, we're now basically on a full generation of Israelis where settlements are just a permanent thing. We don't even question them anymore. Um, and I think Thomas L. Friedman has been right about almost nothing in his life. Um, but he did, 
his early reporting out of there, and you'll correct me where I'm I've wrong. I've actually seen Thomas Friedman in the Tel Aviv airport several times. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you talk to his cabbie? I can't. Uh, <laughs> uh, but his From Beirut to Jerusalem book, which I like uh, partly because I know nothing about that region and, like Camille, try really hard never to talk about it, um, but also because it exudes his own personal knowledge of the area, unlike 90% of what he writes about and talks about now, which is conversations with his uh, taxi drivers in Mumbai. Lexus and the Olive Tree was not a bad book either. It probably was. It, I'm it just really guessing. Wasn't. Um, but anyways, it exuded a certain knowledge. And, his, and what the point he made, and this is now, what, a quarter century ago this book came out, mm. um, is that that is the ultimate corruption of Israel. Um, they will lose their identity by supporting um, they will lose their their sense of humanity by supporting settlements. Like, mm. you know, it's kind of wrong. The occupation, the, 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 the creep towards the apartheid state, you know, that's wrong. And again, I'm sort of reflecting upon this on uh, the same week that Gina Haspel is probably going to be confirmed, I guess, this week yeah. as CIA director, uh, which has been this sort of way of of re-examining or uh, exhuming um, uh, the torture debates that happened uh, as, as the torture program happened under George W. Bush. The debates about it kind of bled over into the Obama administration. They, they died during the Obama because administration. Because he, he chose, he chose no, deliberately not to not to go back and exhume yeah. them. Yeah, yes yeah. and no, uh, because the torture report came out in December 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was part of the debate and a very important, crucial uh, part of the debate uh, in, in that it exposed, uh, I think, beyond kind of a reasonable doubt that not only was the torture program um, unlike the, you know, fucking jerk off fantasies of Tom Cotton, um, was not at all as effective as the CIA uh, always claimed that it was. Sure. Um, that it just, you know, it collapses under contact with reality when you start looking about this. But that the various directors of, of, uh, of the CIA, of the directors of national intelligence, NSA, whatever, um, less the NSA, but all these guys just lied about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I was just rereading, um, uh, our own coverage of it from uh, 2014. There's a 37-page section in the 499-page executive summary of something like a 60,000 or 6,000 word report. Wow! The 37 pages is just devoted to Michael Hayden's lies mm. in front of the Senate about the torture program. Michael Hayden. Right now, I was on with him on Bill Maher. I mm-hmm. sat next to him mm-hmm. on Bill Maher, and sadly, only got to dig in because uh, you know, Bill was like uh, giving hosannas to the deep state. Um, <laughs> I only got to dig in in the overtime segment talking about Get war- Trump. warrantless. So I, he's got a book out talking about the importance of truth. Mm-hmm. Of course, Clapper's got a new book out. Also, I think has truth or lies yeah. in, in, the, in the subhead. All these motherfuckers See, who amazing. looked this in the eye and uh-huh. lied in order to both cover up, destroy evidence about in the case of Gina Haspel and some and 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 Hayden and other like seriously, oh we've got a video of this, let's burn video. Yeah. Um so that we never have an Abu Ghraib situation again. And to be clear, the Abu Ghraib situation wasn't just the horrors that happened at the prison. Actually in the eyes of the intelligence apparatus, it's that it went public. Mm-hmm. And there was a first tranche and there was supposed to be a second and a third. Oh, yeah. And one of the yeah. first and, things that yeah. Obama did becoming president is reverse nope. his fucking position yeah. on this issue. And the photos are what did it, not the details. The you could you could you could you could read reports and you could get executive summaries out the ass, but, but those, it's those photos. And out the ass is the right thing. They're yeah. putting hummus in people's asses yeah. and stuff like that. But they we mm. tortured people to death. Yeah. We tortured innocent 
probably on some cases, at least undoubtedly. At least. And, and you know, here's what really pisses me off when people like because there's the 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 waterboarding uh, aficionados are back. I don't know if you've seen that. There's okay. there's a few people yeah. who like willingly mm-hmm. got themselves waterboarded, not not pointing out the fact that it's a totally different thing when you're held at a completely different angle and against your will, uh, and you've been you know you know uh, renditioned to a different country. Sure, uh, but we. They they only they always say we only waterboarded what four people five people they always come back to that's the talking point that there was only four that we know not that's true it's also not true but they they don't talk about the people that were shackled like medieval style from you know in freezing cold dungeons or had their heads smashed into cement or you know any number of things or that were- had their six month pregnant wife uh, duct taped around mm-hmm. her mouth and told stand up for a day. Jeez. Um, I mean, like, it's, and again, this is, some of this is fresh off of, of uh, McCain's book because he's been consistently great about this in terms of uh, fighting this. I think he was the only Republican really who came out in favor of uh, the uh, torture report in the Senate that Dianne Feinstein uh, pushed through at the time, kind of presaging the way that Republicans have dealt with Trump Um the uh, the Republicans on the Senate Intelligence Committee, which produced this thing, was like, oh, you know what? We we dissent from this. We have our own report hmm. over here, which is like, you know, 12 pages of of uh, crayon. Um, and uh, you know what? Oversight should be kind of more important than that. And the ultimate lesson from all of it is a lesson that we we forgot in uh, very much like actively forgot uh, in the Bush era. And now we're trying to forget more in terms of amnesia because we don't want to mm. think about it. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But back then we made the choice. It was a conscious choice to lose our humanity because we were so pissed off at terrorists, like ticking time bomb scenarios and all. Think kind of about garbage. how popular. First of all, that was that coincided with the decade of Twenty Four as one of the biggest shows on TV. Yeah. But right after, like days after uh, uh, 9-11, Dick Cheney went on Meet the Press and said right to Tim Russett's face, "We're, we're going to go to the dark side." Uh, I want to be careful here, Tim, because I clearly. Um would be inappropriate for me to talk about operational matters, um, specific uh, options or, or uh, the kinds of activities we might undertake going forward. Uh, we do indeed, though, have, obviously, uh, the world's finest military. They've got uh, a broad range of capabilities, um, and uh, they may well uh, be given missions in connection with this overall task strategy. We also have to work those sort of the, the dark side, if you will. We're going to spend time in the shadows and in, in the intelligence world. Um, a lot of what needs to be done here will have to be done quietly without any discussion using sources and methods uh, that are available to our intelligence agencies uh, if we're going to be successful. Uh, that's the world these folks operate in. And uh, so it's going to be vital for us to uh, to use any means at our disposable, at a disposal basically to uh, to achieve our objective. No, he didn't. It was it was a selling point, and it was popular. And and let's remember, Donald Trump campaigned mm-hmm. on saying, "Yeah, we're going to bring back waterboarding and and much much worse, much worse." Yeah. And he also said that he we were going to kill not just terrorists but their families. Wait, yes. who, said, who said that? Donald, Donald Trump. Trump at the, at oh, the yeah, Trump. And, 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 and he also for said, some reason I thought you said John McCain. I was like, he, John McCain said that? No, when, when he was no. Cha- when he was challenged as well. He he, he said that you know uh, you know they said you know candidate Trump, you're you you know they're. Military commanders say they will not do this. They will refuse these orders. Oh, they'll believe me. They'll do what I say. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, in in fairness, and we can uh, we can pivot. I mean, to, it sounds to, like someone's about to invoke like Jordan Peterson or something. Because isn't that like a whole thing of his? What? The uh, the the whether or not you could actually be a guard at like a Nazi prison camp. 
This is uh, wow. one of his tests. I wasn't. I was uh, hoping to wait to Peterson to the, the third act. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. No, no. We, that, was, we that, will, was a, that was a sharp. Uh, we will uh, wait. Transition. We will I know, wait. but have the, to make that transition. But like, but generally teams, speaking, teams generally speaking, the military they've been working off the Army Field Manual, which is now I think more or less the letter of the law here. It was the CIA mm. um, that came in. It was the dark side people who came in. Uh, with the blessing of Dick Cheney, with the apologia from John Yoo and David Addington and all these legal clowns, some of whom some people claim to to have a, a, a little strains of libertarianism with them, which is which is mind boggling. But um, no, the CIA people who came in mm. and, and did the torturing and then they did the lying to Bush and Cheney. And Cheney was predisposed to believe the lies anyways. Um uh, but it, it was the dark people. It wasn't. Mm. It wasn't necessarily the army, mm. right? So uh, the it's the Geneva Conventions are an important kind of morale boosting thing. And again, McCain's been good on this since the time that he came back from as a prisoner of war, knowing that your captors, knowing that you're better than your captors, mm. means something to you when you're being tortured. Like mm. we know we wouldn't do this mm. if 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 the shoe was on the other foot. And that kind of sense of morality actually matters but when you lose that and he states specifically in the new book um they did they have done worse things we have done worse things to our prisoners of war than was done to me in vietnam hmm. he didn't have a good time in vietnam no <laughs> to be clear about that wow. uh and, and and that just shocks the conscience uh and uh so we did this engaged in it uh, uh consciously under the bush era and now with the yeah, look the other way, kind of let's just have Gina Haspel be confirmed, even though she was part of that kind of cover up state and the execution state of it all uh, is a sign. We don't give a shit. And we ultimately don't give a shit enough about the country uh, in the country about this time that we went dark and that and it says to me that we have the predilection for that kind of power abuse on a national scale. That makes me really bummed out. It's and, certainly, it's certainly always there, though. I yes. mean, it's, it's. I don't know that voters were were emphatically endorsing this sort of conduct so much as they were ignoring it. Um, they, in they, 2004, they, were, they, were, they had a choice and they endorsed it. Yeah, for well, sure. There, there were there were expressions of there were expressions of contempt for this kind of behavior, and there were repudiations of it from the Obama administration that, as you outlined, went fairly far, but at certain points became, well, let's bring ourselves, let's bring it all together. Let's bring it in. We'll, we'll all, we're all one family. We have to do the right thing. And also Obama- For the country. Banned torture. Uh -huh. I mean, as a, a statutory thing, there mm -hmm. were still dark sides, some other kind of Jeremy Scahill stuff that was still happening. Uh, <laughs> but like he ran on- and ending this, he was a disappointment on a lot of it, mm -hmm. but he did follow through on the banning torture on the statutory right. ban, ban torture, stop capturing people, step up, on the other hand, the drone campaign, drone, but, you know, and, it, and simply annihilate the people rather than capturing them and having to as deal a, with yes. As a curious them. aside, if you, if you, you know, Zero Dark Thirty was a movie basically written by CIA, CIA you know, consultants. <laughs> they were the ones that peddled that entire narrative. And if you remember it, it's a pretty incredibly boring movie. The narrative is that torture led, not directly, but only a couple of steps removed to Osama bin Laden. Now, this is the Obama era pre-approved narrative. So he might have not 
you know, that, that, that torture may have actually happened under Bush. Uh, but that is something, you know, he, he was, you know, how, how many times did you hear that, uh, oh, Bin Laden's dead and GM is alive? You know, the Bin Laden is dead thing was uh -huh. a huge part of the Obama's re-election. The torture report that came out in 2014, it was opposed at every step by the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. The guy who won election um, based on uh, going against that whole terrible dark state thing. Suddenly, all of the directors of CIA and everything like that, no, no, no. And they all issued their own dissenting reports and they downplayed it and basically sounded like Dick Cheney, who described the whole thing as hooey. Hmm. Yeah, I, it's I, I just keep I think about and, and this has been a, a steady. This has been a drum that I've been beating for some time, the, the exaggeration of the unique deplorableness of Donald Trump to the point where you redeem all of these bad actors um, for prior administrations who've been explicitly dishonest in important and significant ways and now are able to redeem themselves on the altar of being anti-Trump and saying loudly, this is not normal. And in similar manner, the, the deification of various intelligence agencies and the defense of them by people who are in all too eager to have the president of the United States be impeached for whatever reason. Um, if it's a consequence of a relationship that he had with like a hooker, um, not a hooker, I'm sorry, she's a prostitute. And that's not a prostitute, porn not a hooker, star. Star. a porn star. Yeah, yeah, this is, it's the daggone true blue. You've only had one. Strength. I know it's so friggin' strong. I feel like but, I should get another one in there. It's a bit, but it's whatever, been, it's whatever the consequence, whatever by hook or by crook will get this guy. I, I, don't, I don't know. Now I really am a little drunk. And maybe if we change topics to something even more um, dangerous, uh, I can say something intelligible. But for the moment, I'm, I might be finished. Rehabilitating the deep state lying fuckwads in an effort to dislodge Trump mm -hmm. is a strategic and moral error. That sounds really I saw, I, That's I, what I wanted to say, I but I'm too drunk to say it. I saw a photo of Method Man, and it might have been Ghostface Killer with James Comey the oh, other day. I like, saw a hanging. video of 50 Cent dancing with John Travolta on stage. That's cooler that's than cool. hanging out with, than with James Comey. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. I saw that Method Man and Ghostface Killer. Was it Ghostface, Jim? Yeah. Was it, was it, or maybe it was Ghostface Killer and Raekwon the Chef, who were with um, him. I don't remember. Yeah, but either but way. I saw them with James Cohen. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Yeah. So look, we can do a couple of different things here. I, I mentioned earlier that the Michael Cohen thing is of interest to me. The fact that he got these amazing deals because Donald Trump gets the best deal. So obviously his, his lawyer, Michael Cohen, gets pretty great deals as well, where he was able to convince AT&T and Novartis, as well as others, apparently, maybe, um, to give him lots and lots of money to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that is that um, is kind of fun. I wish, I wish I was bright enough mm. to have positioned myself to do that. Who do we know um, who could be president? <laughs> who gets paid the most money to do the least that we know? <laughs> That's a problem, right? Yeah. Like, I do. I, you're not talking about me with that most money to do. To I, do I, the I least. know. I know. Rand Paul. He's else. not going to be president. No. And, uh, I don't know. Him any, he's, yeah. uh, Moynihan, maybe. No, yeah. No, no. Maybe he's, he's, somebody, he's, he's been working harder lately. Based though. based yeah. on the text messages on. that we were passing uh, back and forth before the show, that will only be revealed in the Patreon. Yeah, that's bonus content. So by totally paywalled. 
holy cow, is that paywall? <laughs> oh my god! But there's enough out there that Moynihan's just not going to be president. Um, not yeah. that blackmail works anymore in Donald Trump. That's America. just that's just it. Yeah. yeah. The, the I mean the opportunity now for anyone, no matter how dodgy no, or dark your past, president's pretty high. Even though it's been completely vetoed by his wife, and he's a, yeah, my wife won't accept hashtag it. cuck. But uh, <laughs> but the Libertarian Party now the Bill Weld is out there. Yeah. Are you going to allow Bill Weld to just steal the yep. LP nomination in 2020? Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I could imagine worse options, actually. Um, but let's let's not go into that. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, so, that's, but we'll say that maybe you know, uh huh. Yep. We have given favors to Camille over the years. If he was to somehow become president, I would not do any favors for you. No, but I'm just saying it's enough of a, of like a. Oh, a, people would think that we, you I would do favors. I could go to Novartis. I could go to New Jersey, yeah. hang yeah. out. It's like, yeah, hey, yeah, you know yeah, what? Yeah. I knew Camille. I know that it only takes like a half a drink of gin, <laughs> and he's wasted. You can convince him of anything. It I, doesn't. Really and I know matter. I said I don't really want to talk about this, but it's it's fun. The, the coverage of it when you see the former Novartis CEO talking about this in the paper, and he's saying things like, "Yeah, no, this is totally on me," and "Yeah, you know, a million dollars is a lot of money." I mean, it's not a, a, that much for Novartis. But effectively, our lawyers just went and did this deal with Michael Cohen and drew up this contract and he never did anything. Just paid him a million bucks so that we could effectively have access to him and maybe he could help get us access that's, to the that's, White House. That's called hedging your bets with, 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 a, with amount of money that is l- far less than a rounding God. error to a company like Novartis. I just I didn't want we, that deal just once. Didn't we hang out with the Novartis executive in our little Swiss adventure, Camille? When I'm you sure, and I I'm first sure we had- did. Yeah, Any sex together? Nope, that's not a thing that ever happened, Matt. Wow. At least we can't talk Defensive about it publicly. Much? No, not that there's anything wrong with it because love wins. Um, but oh, let's <laughs> let's set that let's set that's that aside one. for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> let's mm. set that aside for a moment. Um, what what else is happening in the world that we <coughs> wanted to talk about? Oh, there's the North Korea situation. There um, is the North Korea situation. And, there's the Iran situation. And the well. Iran situation with the Iran nuclear deal, which yeah, uh, the, the Trump administration kind of a big deal. is interested in moving away from uh, the the the. European contingent that is also a part of that Iran deal says they want to stay in it and they're looking for options to do so. Um, I don't I don't know that I have a hell of a lot to say about the Iran deal. Um, personally, I don't know if you guys um, have thoughts on it. I do know um, with respect to the North Korea situation, which the, the latest development here is that there is a meeting that is set for June, um, I believe, um, which as of this week is somewhat in jeopardy because mm-hmm. the United States and their South Korean allies have been engaging in these military exercises, which is not for the first time since sort of long planned. Yeah, that, I, I don't general, think that was the issue. Sort of the, issue the issue was denuclearization. But well, this is partly the issue right. anyways. Um, I think what the North Koreans, the the... The crowing we've heard from the North Koreans of late is that they don't they won't be pushed around and they're not interested in doing a deal in which they're giving up everything and not really getting anything in return. Well, that was it's funny because I I felt similarly like five days ago when people were legitimately throwing Trump's name around as a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And I was like, you know what? If he goddamn gets them to denuclearize, he deserves it. Yeah, I was I was going to go that far. And there have been there have been satellite images this week of uh, of nuclear test sites being deconstructed and taken apart in North Korea. That one was no, kind of I don't know what that means. Though, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, know that that means it, anything. Exactly. So, so to me, it just felt like again, I could be. There's a bit of supposition here, but it felt like 
the Trump administration floating trial balloons and then getting a little ahead of itself. Right. And when the uh, North Koreans notice, oh, we're up to new, we're up to denuclearization before we've even you know gotten this. And mm-hmm. basically, the deal was I can't remember which I don't know if it was Pompeo or somebody else, but they said uh, de- if they denuclearize, yeah, we'll let the Kims starve the North Koreans for eternity. The they, diffi- they, they can stay in power forever. Although, we will not. The difficulty here is that. If the if they thought the Iran deal was bad mm. because there were things that they couldn't verify yeah. because that was a challenge. Yeah. The North Korean situation from everything that I've read seems to be infinitely more complex when it comes to trying to actually verify yes. that they have taken all of this stuff apart. I mean, I've seen some estimates from like from the Rand Corporation that it would require hundreds of thousands of personnel on the ground in order to try really? and secure like all of the nuclear sites so, in North Korea it, in the event that that regime like went south. Iran is like Times Square as far as accessibility compared to North Korea, even for international observers. And so we just, we just, there's just things we just don't, we don't know. know. Yeah. yeah. And the, the unknown knowns, as Donald Rumsfeld might say, are innumerable. And the topography of North Korea is something that, you know, we, 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 we haven't been, you know, figuring out what's going where in those hills and mountains for how long has the Korean war been over? 60 years, 70 years. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, my, my inclination on both of these things is to say this seems really complex and I'm not really sure. Well, the complexity is actually Which is probably kind of, dissatisfying is, for people. There are a lot of things that I don't talk about because I just don't know. The uh, complexity there, there is something is noble to, to admitting that, you know, I got nothing. Oh, well, good. But I got nothing and I'm a little drunk. I think that the complexity itself yeah. is interesting in terms of thinking about uh, Trump's approach to things, hmm. right? Um, he, when uh, Emmanuel Macron was coming here in April, and they did like the three days of shovel grabbing in Washington mm-hmm. uh, there. And wife ogling. Uh, I mean, it's just obvious. <laughs> Only <It's> crazy. <laughs> Only one of them was worth it. Melania and, stays. <laughs> I mean, she's, she, uh, I, we probably lady. said this before, she's always going to be our first lady. Mm. Um, anyways, uh, no, uh, Trump, when he decided uh, early on in his administration not to join the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership, um, and also when he uh, opted out of the Paris Agreement on climate change, he made a lot of language like, oh, you know, we're just going to get a, a better deal, uh, which spoke to a lack of appreciation for the complexity of how you got these deals in the first place, yes. which is kind of similar to the Brexit situation, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people who uh, supported Brexit, uh, including you know, transatlantically Trump style peoples, the Steve Bannons of the world, uh, were like, hey, that's great. We're just going to have, we're going to negotiate a, a sweet ass free trade deal now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be freer trade than we've ever seen um, uh, coming on the outside of it. It shows a lack of appreciation for the complexity of it. And according to the reporting that happened at the time of Macron's visit, uh, Trump um, had expressed to Macron on a couple of occasions of uh, like, um, at least some sense of buyer's remorse that we weren't able to go back and kind of like quickly renegotiate some new way into the Paris mm. Agreement because uh, Ivanka was giving a hard time for that. <laughs> um, and similar to the TPP, uh, I worry because just Trump is not a, a big or great thinker or it seems he, he doesn't seem to be a systems 
complex uh, thinker. He try to re- he reduces things, at least in his public utterances and his persona, to like, hey, we're going to get a better deal. We're going to have the best negotiators, and we're just going to get there. We're going to do the deal. We're going to have the best negotiators, and also I'm gutting the State Department. Right, whatever. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll even like grant him that maybe that's good somehow, right? Um, which it might be. I mean, it's some, perpetual. If there's nobody negotiating, some things need to be gutted. Uh, but. Um, so the Iran deal is incredibly complex. It's six countries who spend a lot of time on this thing. And you can think and say that it's a bad deal. I kind of presume that it is without knowing anything about it, just mm-hmm. because um, whenever there's two negotiators and one side is so clearly like desperate for this deal to happen. And I think the Obama administration really was desperate they absolutely uh-huh. were. for yeah, yeah. this deal and to happen. they sold a lot of bullshit to, to, make, it, to make it palatable. Yes. Um, palatable is, is a funny word to use because you can make palatable uh, also uh, as, as part <laughs> of that. Um, but so uh, because of that, you're going to get uh, a deal that is suboptimal. If it, but it's also a deal that a lot of different countries were part of, and it's really difficult to undo and then to kind of like – you know, have that as the new tabula rasa and, uh-huh. and redo it. Uh-huh. North Korea isn't like that. Hmm. The, the thing that was on the table with North Korea was just like the same old shit we've been talking about forever. The five party talks that like no one has really reconvened in the last three or four years. Yeah. No, there was kind of nothing on the table. But what was on the table was bluster. Um, so for me, I've always been more heartened by Trump's approach to North Korea, except for those moments when it seemed like that we were on the verge of nuclear war, which always makes me a little bit nervous. In, in general, but like you could see he's got a theory of the case and then he's prosecuting the theory of the case. And up until this latest hiccup, it was going pretty it well. Was, it for was his and, theory it, of the case. And, and that's the thing is he he's he brags about that. He, you know, like, like how many times during the campaign were his were his inner circle and his trusted advisors saying, no, that you've gone too far. You can't do it. And he always said, no, I've gotten this far. I've done that, what that which nobody said I could do. I killed the Republican Party, and I'm going to beat Hillary. And then he did. Surprising uh, even himself. Uh, you know, a, <laughs> yeah. a week, so a week ago, it was looking good. He, you know, three American prisoners released by North Korea. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, got, he's going to have a one-on-one sit-down with Kim Jong-un. Two of those prisoners were taken while he was president. I, yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, I, okay, I, okay. I, I, Barack Obama couldn't do that. It was. It was. <laughs> You're right. This he is, couldn't. This is actually true. That's, this is the the realest shit he ever wrote. It was looking good, and his you know he was really feeling his oats with his chaos you know style of doing things. He was you know he he always said. Uh, Bush and Obama, they always telegraph their punches. That nobody's ever going to know what I'm thinking. I'm just going to be flying off the seat of my pants. And it was working for a little bit. And now the, the, it's, you know, the. It might still work. I mean, it, everything it, is so preliminary. It, it, well, it, 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 here's the thing if it, even if it works, uh, is it worth the paper it's printed on? If it's just, if it's just. What's the deal? Yeah, if, say, any say, any deal he strikes say, that he might say, just pull say, out of? say yeah exactly you yeah. know like or any deal that any other president might pull out of or any deal that Kim Jong Un won't have to honor because it's it's it looks just the same way the the Iran deal that was negotiated by Obama that they had to had to have because it was yeah. a legacy builder you know on on his way out the door if he gives he he gives concessions to the Kim regime. And he gets to say, I have, done, I, I have try to try to sell it as a winner. No I have created what. peace in our time. Yeah. I have ended the Korean War. And yet, okay, oh, well, there's actually no teeth to this thing. Is could, you know, I One key could, difference could be if he can get anything ratified by the Senate, right? Mm-hmm. Which uh, the uh, Iran deal never really was. Yes. Mm-hmm. And like, we've given up. We've abdicated the sense of like the legislature is doing anything mm-hmm. anymore. But that might 
put this much more. And I was uh, doing a little finger thumb thing uh, there of a little validity to it. But then again, what are the chances of anything getting ratified? Sure. Camille. I don't know. Uh, did you see the picture I tweeted of my daughter in the stroller with oh, the glasses on? So that's incredible. She's just a, she's so adorable. No, but fair. like, I mean, but just a, a little bit fierce kid. when she gets totally the shades fierce. on. Totally fierce. You know, we thought that she would try to rip the shades off of her face when we put them on. She won't let us take them off. No, she loves. She knows what's going on. She loves her sunglasses. Those sunglasses are actually from Paris. <laughs> totally true story. <laughs> totally true story. No bullshit. She already knows. Never fly. Coach. No bullshit. Sunglasses in Paris. That's my girl. Yeah. That's my girl. That's not the phrase, Anthony Fisher. Get uh, it not, right. You're not going to get me to say that. Get the it phrase. right. Be no. courageous, damn no. it. No. So we should probably get out of here soon, but I wanted to, I definitely wanted to get to another thing before we go, because um, Fisher, I'm hoping you'll tee up um, the the piece that you have coming, which um, is, is interesting because it may, may in fact spark some controversy, but also because it's related to a controversy that was ignited by our friend Barry Weiss. Um, last week, I believe it was May 8th, she published a piece in the New York Times, the title of which was Meet the Renegades of the Intellectual Dark Web, um, a piece that I think is perhaps most interesting, um, and this is not a slight against Barry um, or an attack on the quality of her writing, um, but because of the pictures, because the pictures are just so like startling and odd. In Michael Shermer in the bushes, <laughs> and and, <laughs> and, and, and also <laughs> he's wearing bicycle shorts. You know, like, and, and, and I, I I know Barry um, and I like Barry and I booked Barry on this show and I think Barry's a very talented writer and um, I've never seen it. Maybe this is a new thing. Maybe this is a new the, the a photo, new, a new media thing. It's still it yeah. still was under the op ed section yeah. of the uh, the photos were strange, but the, to, to, to attach. A photo, a, photo, a photographic, you know, with a, with a theme too. That this is a very art, artistic ch choice to yeah. make to attach that to an op-ed that is more skeptical than those photos would lead you to believe. That's precisely right. More, it's which, so it's yeah. so nobody odd. read into yeah, it. Yeah. It's so odd. And and I saw like the I read I read the piece um, probably the first half moments of it is after, not skeptical. Moments but it after gets it was skeptical. published. Yeah. Well, the first half of it yeah. is just descriptive. descriptive. Yeah, it's yeah. this. It's essentially just reporting. And it I is think, giving and, you some lay of the land and some context. It's a new story. It's end. a new. It's these are new characters uh -huh. that she's introducing. The mass, you know, the, the New York Times consuming uh, uh -huh. populace too. But it is a choice to have photography attached to that kind of thing. I mean, it it it's a choice, but mm -hmm. I don't know what that choice mm -hmm. is supposed to represent. I mean, mm -hmm. the piece is is asking questions. Yes. What will this actually turn into? What's the deal when you have some allegiances where you're effectively a click away from some very dodgy characters like Alex Jones and also a click away from some enormously respectable characters like Steven Pinker? Sure. That is the world that Barry paints a picture of yeah. in her piece. And, but and, and, for whatever and her, reason- And her, kickers, and her, and her I mean, literally the last third of that piece is totally skeptical. Uh -huh. So, yeah. so the, the, the people that are freaking out over it, I don't know if they just didn't get that far. Didn't uh -huh. assume no, that it would well, get there. She's become a hate figure. It like feels Kevin like Williams. they didn't sure, read it. Yeah, yeah. It feels like they did no, not yeah, read the piece I think, that I think they Matt's were criticizing. On, Matt's onto it, though. The, the name Barry Weiss is, is at this point is simply triggering. Is a talisman. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a talisman to show that 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 person who you totally everything she says is predictable. Everything she says is just going to be fitting into this little narrative, and, yeah. and that just it shows the weakness the, of the argument. So the caricature, though, was that she was presenting the people who are a, a part of the intellectual dark web, which if you've listened to this podcast and you are a regular listener, you know that we talked to uh, Brett Weinstein and mm -hmm. his wife, Heather Hying, um, some time back, a very good conversation. Mm -hmm. I like both of them personally Heather and enjoyed them. Now. Heather's wonderful. Yeah. She actually gave me some, uh, some child rearing advice um, in an email afterwards. 
um, unsolicited, but still good. Lobsters. Uh, I like it. Exactly. Put lobsters in the baby crib. <laughs> we're doing tonight while I'm not home. Lobsters um, and watermelons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, rubber lo- watermelons. Um, That's a really good XTC uh, <laughs> album. But, but, you know, the... At any rate, <laughs> at any rate, now that you've completely derailed my train of thought, no, um, no, I, I thought Barry's, I thought yeah. Barry's, Barry's piece was actually quite good and thoughtful, and it, it actually prompted me to think about the challenge that the intellectual dark fa- web faces in a different way. But the dominant narrative coming out of it was that Barry was presenting them as characters who were downtrodden who simply couldn't get ahead. And that's simply not what she did. She talked explicitly about this enormous tour that Jordan Peterson Peterson is going on right now with Dave Rubin opening up for him as a a comedy act effectively. Um, And Jordan Peterson selling out venues all over the country, all over the planet, in yes. fact. He's going to Europe to have to host events there. And say what you will about Jordan Peterson's offering, Matt Welch, because <laughs> uh, I know you will say things about it. I, I don't have anything to say, actually, because I haven't read his stuff. I've read I don't follow most of these. I don't follow most of the characters on the intellectual dark web particularly closely. Jordan I will Peterson's say that fine. there are some people in it. Though. I enjoyed Jordan Peterson's book. Like I, like I told Matt, yeah. at least three quarters of it, I thought were extremely well written. He, he does. He's killer with metaphors. He's he's a great storyteller about his own personal experience. Uh-huh. There's there's spins yarns yeah. in, in an interesting way, legitimately. There there, there there are blind spots for sure, and there are certain parts that I find kind of gross, you know. But uh, that's okay because mm-hmm. people are just, you know it's it's an idea revolution. Mm-hmm. But Jordan Peterson's you know the, the the phenomenon makes sense to me. Yeah, but but in either case, I just don't think Barry was doing at all what critics of the piece seem to be suggesting, painting all of these people as downtrodden, suggesting that all of them had given something There's up. One there was huge... one, one, one odd choice of phrase where she says all of them have three things in common. Um, and the third thing was that some of them had actually had to suffer mm-hmm. um, yes, and lost exactly jobs and something like that yeah. um, because of what the choices they made. Michael Obviously, all suffered. three of them haven't. Brett, they Brett. don't all share the fact that some of them have suffered. I think that was a some poor of them choice of never language. Never suffered in any yeah. way at all. But right? some of yeah. them. But some of them have suffered. Sure, and, and that's worth she mentioning about exactly that, that you, which that, is that, fair to me. But to me, you know, using it as a thing that ties them together, saying it's when, a little lot when you're saying. Yeah. These all these people are tied together by this thing that only some of them have experienced yeah. is kind of a weird thing to draw together. But it is fair and to say that a lot of their true. I mean, it's the sense, it's the sensation oh. of being kind of expelled from polite society, whether that's academia and journalism or whatever you were doing before. Mm-hmm. But the thing that that struck home and has been striking home uh, in reading about this and and dealing, with, I mean, like. Seriously, two months ago, this is not a phrase that I was familiar with, Mm -hmm. the intellectual dark web. Megan Dom, uh, a L.A. Times columnist and uh, a friendly acquaintance of mine, um, uh, wrote a column uh, for the L.A. Times about it in March, Mm -hmm. I believe, uh, of this year. Very uh, actually more uh, uh, positive than Barry Weiss's. And Tina uh, uh, Nguyen, and I'm mispronouncing her name, who's also been. Thank you. Look. <laughs> Whatever. If you've been drinking corn whiskey like I'd been, Dear you would Lord. just like. What's happened? I mean, this I, I, corn whiskey. So, so here, really if, if, if I may, just real quick, like, uh, like uh, J- January thirtieth is Dave Rubin's first uh, video called "What Is the Intellectual Dark Web." 
So right. it's at least out of laundry. And there's a website up, and and they don't all have the same like beautiful uh, glamour shots in the dark woods as the New York Times did. But there's a a, a website called Intellectual Dark Web, right. uh, made by uh, some unknown person. Yeah, nobody knows who did it. Right, but I think it's one of them. <laughs> I, my my betting I mean, is heavily maybe on it's in, one of them. No, in no, no, no. Case, it's, a, it's an informal it's affiliation. In, informal affiliation um, of folks. Uh, and and many of them do have that sense. Ian Hersey Ali is is identified as one of these people. Um, mm-hmm. And there isn't a lot to this, but I mean, like uh, in in terms of a uh, of, of specific kind of ideological terrain or anything yeah. else like that, I think there is a strong sense of um, these are people who at some point kind of uh, uh, went up against what Brett Weinstein sort of talked about. The kind of uh, not Brett Weinstein's brother Eric, um, uh, you know, the kind of gatekeepers uh, at some point kind of expelled them or rejected them or said mm-hmm. that they're saying, who expelled Eric Weinstein from anything. Like Brett Weinstein was expelled. I don't know who expelled Eric Maybe Weinstein. Maybe he was just trying to, to but, so, discuss his but, brother. But, but yeah, so but this is my point though. You got jo- Jordan Peterson made himself, you know, a a spectacle by kind of misinterpreting a Canadian law. Right, right? but he I mean, but he was yeah. I think legitimately sort of spat out. He still by that he still system. works at the University of Toronto. He yeah. didn't lose a job and he's only gotten rich over it. All right? He might have been, you know, he and he never gave a shit about being part of polite left-wing society, so he never was expelled from the left in the way that Brett Weinstein uh, kind and of pl- plausibly yeah. and Heather Hangs, sorry, pardon me, but they both have a very plausible case to like. To, I I have total sympathy for Brett Weinstein and Heather Hyang for the plight that they've endured. Uh, Joe Rogan hasn't been expelled from anything. No, you know, no, he's Dave Joe, Rubin Joe has is, not uh, been expelled from anything. He chose that he he chose at a certain point to make a career move out of the Young Turks and came upon this thing of you know agr- people aggrieved claiming to be liberals that they are um the true gatekeep they, they are the true holders of liberal values and it's the progressives that are the only ones obsessed with identity he was never expelled from anything he made a personal choice eric weinstein i never heard of until i heard of brett weinstein and eric weinstein you know obviously i'm sure is motivated by sympathy from his brother but he he still works at Teal Capital. He hasn't. He hasn't. And again, he's he's become famous because of his brother's suffering. So I don't know what he's been kicked out of. Now, who else? Ian Hersey Ali absolutely has yeah, suffered. Yeah. All right. Um, who who else are we talking about now? And there, and there is who's, who's Ben Shapiro. Are the, the, the claim that the Ben. No, Sh- there were the other claim, folks mentioned at the at the in the piece uh, as well. The, the, the somewhat, ben, somewhat more marginal. Ben Shapiro uh, went up against. So Ben Ben Shapiro helped build up the Breitbart monster, and then it came and bit him. And then at the moment that Michelle Fields got her arm dragged by Corey Lewandowski, that's when Ben Shapiro had his come to Jesus moment. I know that's ironic, but. Uh, that that so that's okay. That's something he went up, and he and he dealt with tremendous anti-Semitism. Uh, I, I, th- I believe in 2016 or 2017, the, the most single, yeah. the most anti-Semitic uh, hate at on social media was directed at Ben Shapiro. I think so he's he, also he's also received a lot of but protests think, when he goes to speak on various college campuses. I, I take yes. your point, and yeah. your point is correct. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I would say maybe to sort of knit it together is that the people, even those. Uh, to the extent that I know their work, um, uh, that didn't receive the lash in some kind of dramatic fashion, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, or at least like a, a sudden preponderance of negative attention, which I think Jordan Peterson definitely has received, and many people, his fans, certainly uh-huh. for crying I out mean, loud. He, I think he's been sure. compensated for that negative attention. Oh my God, he yeah. was compensated before that. Um, so uh, I'm 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 identified that, but, as. But, a, you, but again, again, you say so what? But it's uh-huh. like you you can quantify these things. It's like okay, if you've you you've gotten you're now in the public sphere, you're you're a popular figure. Yeah, yeah, and you've got your haters. But listen, but that's well, that's hold on, the. Hold on. I'm just saying that's the knock. But I don't know that they are, they're not money. pulling – but I'm just saying let, they're not actually pulling Let me finish your point before, you, before you continue arguing. And the, and the point <laughs> is just that even the ones who weren't uh, sort of marginalized or, 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 or you know, it's given the back of a hand, uh-huh. even as they're getting rich off their new audience or whatever, um, they <laughs> share together uh-huh. a sense of antipathy towards – Social the re- justice warriors, the regressive, the regressive left. left. Yeah, oh no, they yes. have a thing. Cultural they, they have Marxists, a thing that ties them together. Postmodernism. Yeah. I mean, there's right. these buzzwords, and I've been. And this is the funny thing, and Anthony's going to feel this it, like within hours, as soon as this piece finally fucking gets published by the Daily Beast, <laughs> um, where he talks about uh, them, and I guess uh, um, uh, Dave Rubin uh, the most. But I certainly felt this. Um, even in uh, publishing transcripts on and reason uh, of our great interview. With uh, with Weinstein and and, uh, and Hying, um, and also my Jordan Peterson uh, essay, mm-hmm. like the the people who have attached to them have attached so hard that they will accuse you immediately of being a postmodernist social justice warrior. Guys today on Twitter, are like uh, you know what explains why Matt hates Jordan Peterson, which I don't, um, uh, is because, uh, you know, he's just doing what MSNBC tells him to do. It's like, <laughs> God. what are you fucking even talking I about? I can't wait till, till, till the conspiracy about me is drawn. No, it's, it's going to be amazing. No, but it, no. it's funny because a lot of, of the kind of the sense of moral teaching that comes from these uh, uh, people, especially Peterson, but also the other ones, so sort of like buck up, give your steel man argument, Camille. You know this mm-hmm. phrase for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, the response you get, not necessarily from them, the sure. individual, some of them, and yes, and we might hear from uh, Anthony about this, some of the individuals in, involved uh, do lash out. I mean, Candace Owens, for crying out loud, who's like going to completely implode. Is by she the a part t- of the intellectual dark web? She's been identified she as such or like as a as like an adjunct member, yeah. but like shit's like burning. Shit's on fire some, at this some, point. Some of the intellectual dark web flirted with it and have backed off and some are still totally on board. With it? With the Candace Owens, oh, in, the Candace the, the, Owens phenomenon. The, the, yes. I thought you were calling her it because she's a black woman, oh, which I was going to say that's probably. Thank you racist. for correcting me for for, for because that's racist. Contest, but well, what a lot of this reminds me. Just want to be sure, Matt. Did you hear me say yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be racist I calling her it? Uh, what a lot of this reminds me of <laughs> that Camille Camille if thought it, something might be racist if it happened. It'd be me. Yeah, is you can't call <laughs> black people it. Fuck. People try. I remember this. I kind of lived through this in a, in a different uh, sense. Uh, right after 9-11, there was a whole bunch of mm. blogging that happened. Mm. Um, war blogging. It Lucy Steigerwald's ears are burning right now. Right? I know. Yeah. And I'm like responsible <laughs> for the terrible world war blog. And, and there was all these kind of thumb sucking pieces, including some attack pieces. A guy named Alex Beam. Right from uh, the Boston Globe, wrote one of the mm. first kind of like bloggers are just right wing shitheads mm-hmm. who want war on my face all the time and screw them. They don't understand about shoe leather reporting. Right, you can hear my my backhand slapping there. Right. It was a garbage a piece. It didn't understand that at that moment there was sort of there was kind of an ideological diversity and all this kind of stuff. But also, it's 
you're feeling special because you're a sunflower under the sun and there everyone's looking at you and 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 no one's going to describe you correctly and 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 you have a your own unique thing that's never been thought of before in this way you become precious mm-hmm. all right i mean when we talked about this uh, before my worry, and it was reflected actually in uh, in uh, Brett Weinstein's quote in the Barry Weiss piece about audience capture. Mm-hmm. That's one worry. Uh, another worry, it just is, um, it becomes your sort of first rodeo, like the first time when there's you're part of a group that people you're part of the it group. It could be the it out group or the it in group. Doesn't matter. Um, you start to smell your own farts and think that they're mm-hmm. super special. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're not that special. It's just sort of this weird collection of people here. I think that they're interesting people to follow and watch, many of whom associate with it, including Jonathan Haidt, for crying out loud. I mean, half of the roster on that intellectual dark website are people who have r- written for or engaged very, very closely uh, with reason over the years and, and people who have a, a great deal of respect for their people are trying to draft Camille, I, I see, into the intellectual dark web. And I mm-hmm. think that's racist, first of all, <laughs> and most importantly. They're scrambling. But like part of the negative reaction, especially I, I'm not sure from some of the participants, racist. but especially the fans, um, it's like uh, it's 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 kind of their first beer. Hey, and so, so, so you've never heard the phrase intellectual dark web before a couple of months ago. I never heard the phrase hit piece, specifically hit piece until a couple of months ago. Have you? Oh, um, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, because to me, like, I, I mean, maybe, I, I, maybe you I, mean I know, directed at you. I know what hit piece means, but I never heard it, dr- the drumbeat of it quite so relentlessly as since the intellectual dark web started getting some skeptical press. I don't know. Maybe it's the circles you travel in. That's that's odd. Yeah. And, and like I said, maybe it's because some of that is directed at you. Could be. We keep maybe, hinting at it. Yeah. You kind of have and, to give and, us and, a sense of what, right, what right. is this so let's, piece let's about. Get, let's get sure. to it. All right. Basically, my, my interest in the intellectual dark web rose out of my interest in right of center YouTube. I don't want to use the word right wing because Kendall Sowens will sue me. Will, will sue me. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, so, that's racist. Get Pope so, Hat on the line. Oh, Pope Hat's. Pope Hat's my boy. Anyway, um, so... The I, I've been interested in this ecosystem because I believe it's not the future; it's the present of right of center media. I think that Fox News Fox News's uh, average audience is about seventy one to death, and talk radio is also kind of trending in that direction. Now, these these things will always be a thing. I think cable news will always be a a, a cultural force for not maybe not always, but for it's not going away just yet. There's still millions and millions of people who watch it at night and there's millions and millions of people who don't know of anything else. And radio's a similar thing to some people, people people who haven't discovered podcasts or don't, you know, have bluetooth connected into their uh, uh car radios still listen to AM radio. So talk radio will still be a thing, but uh, some of these right of center YouTubers have more than a million subscribers, which means that they can walking out the door, get 200,000 views on their YouTube uh, feed. And they, which is worth $50. Well, fine. I kid. But they also, they also will put that content out. They'll, they'll also put that content out on many different podcasting mm-hmm. things, you know, cause there's not, most of these uh, shows don't have any production values at all. So they can put all this stuff that's lives on YouTube and it's probably best known on YouTube out on a lot of different places. And they, and they have ways of monetizing it. Mm-hmm. They're affiliated with Infowars or they've got their own, you know, Patreons, what have you? Uh-huh. Uh, so I've been I've been very interested in this whole uh, ecosystem for since since 2016. You know, it's it's been a it was a huge part of it. It kind of was spawned out of Gamergate and Infowars, and uh, not that 
any of the people in the intellectual dark web are directly associated with any of that stuff, but absolutely this, their audiences have been. And so uh, some, some people in the audience, let's go ahead. Uh, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Of, of late. Uh, so, in, so since the, you know, I, I, I heard about Jordan Peterson right when that whole pronoun thing happened in late 2016, I heard about, and right around that time I started hearing about Dave Rubin and right around that, uh, maybe six months later was when Brett Weinstein got fucked at Evergreen uh, state university. And, uh, you know, Joe Rogan's had a, his, his podcast has been popular forever. Mm-hmm, I never yeah. really even associated him with these people till very recently because I guess they've all, maybe they had their big, their first big exposure on his show. Uh, some, some of them almost be, certainly. Yeah, because I mean, he's had it. His, his, and it's been huge for some time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, our friend Thad has been, been on there frequently. And I and Hersey Ali, I knew I've known about forever. So, yeah. I mean, to me, like she's, she's of her, she's of her own thing, whether mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm. associated with them or not, or talks to them or is friends with them. That's a different thing. So, uh, uh, so of late I've noticed though, that there's the, the, they, they, they all have huge audiences, but the audiences overlap. And one of the things that worries me about this audience uh, is that they are all hearing one particular narrative. And that narrative is that identity politics are, is the thing that is going to tear us apart. And opposition to free speech is going to tear us apart. And postmodernism is a threat to the Western civilization. Uh, they don't all say that, but quite a few of them do. Mm-hmm. So Camille's like two out of three. Yes. And as Milo said, two out of three ain't bad. Right? Exactly. Which two am I? So... It's obvious. Yeah, Come on. that that is that is also paywalled content. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now my my issue as somebody who um, I, I would never call myself a renegade, but it, like I've pissed I've pissed off both sides of the aisle several times tonight, mm-hmm. and I don't mind doing it forever as long as broke as I am. Uh, but free speech is a very very important thing to me, and I also believe that identity politics, in whatever form they come, as you do too. Mm-hmm. is 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 a stupid and destructive and reductive thing de- de- defining people and putting people into tribes based on immutable characteristics is a stupid thing he's the gotten p- to you problem mm-hmm. is i think that there's a good part of the uh in, uh intellectual dark web that only sees the threat to free speech coming from one side and only sees identity politics being practiced by one side. Sure. I want people to understand, uh, especially, you know, as Donald Trump might say, to the haters and losers, uh-huh. right, that my intentions are pure. Of course. Right, that sure. I, I am exploring an int- something that I've had an interest in in a long time, that mm-hmm. I've done my homework, mm-hmm. that I've spoken to people both uh, on the su- supporter side and critical side of things, uh, that my facts are bulletproof, and that I welcome <laughs> criticism. I welcome. I welcome pushback. So, right. so, solicit criticism, even. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I read but, an early draft. Yeah, the thing but, that's interesting about this, I, uh, I think, uh, is how much. And we talked about this on, when we uh, when we had uh, Brett and Heather on. Um, part of the, the of the promise, the best sales job of the intellectual dark web is that we will fearlessly have debates. Debates about, and debates. Yes. Debates. And, and, those and debates. so like <laughs> I want to like, great. OK, so I, everyone's been telling me that that uh, in this case, Jordan Peterson's very interesting. Um, and actually, Moynihan was t- told me that both Weinstein's really interesting. And am I getting there? Is my Weinstein? This? It's Stein. Weinstein. God damn it. I, I screwed just, it up, too. I can't ever That's do fine. that. Right. Okay. Um, uh, but like. Uh, so I want to engage and like, OK, let's have let's do the thing that's called criticism in mm-hmm, all senses mm-hmm. of the word. And I suspect that the people who are within it and 
who do legitimately cherish those values get that and appreciate it and it's fine. Yeah, I haven't seen it's, a bunch of overreaction from from them generally. Dave Rubin and, and Candace Owens have been been kind of like freaking that, out that's, about stuff. Well, Candace doesn't count. Dave Rubin, on the other hand, we'll see. He's been preemptively freaking out about a lot of stuff, like just uh, getting very excited about and, and But also, very very important point. Uh, the the a lot of the people in the intellectual dark web talk about how much they debate, how argue, how much they argue, how how much their politics differ. Have you seen a lot of it? Because because what you have? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I what I've seen is Ben Shapiro splitting hairs about you know um, the existence of God and when uh, yeah, that's know, a and, big and, deal and, to, and, to and people a, who believe in that sort and, of thing. Well, and Anthony also an abortion, like you know, it's like a, but, so Ben Shapiro is one hundred percent against abortion, and he argues with some people in the intellectual dark web who are uh -huh. like, I'm pro-choice till twenty weeks. <laughs> it's like all right, these are important discussions, but I yeah. don't know that they rise to the level amongst of, some people. Those are those are horrible, deplorable positions sure. to hold okay. and to, to disagree all about. Right, let's how about there's yeah. a, there's a million other topics that are being kind of bandied about, and I feel like there's more agreement than disagreement, and I feel like it's kind of disingenuous to say that you're for a hundred percent total debate when you get your panties in a snit over even honest criticism. I just First don't. All, I just racist. don't know that one. I don't know that that's broadly true of all of them. That all of them. I didn't say, I've never yeah, said broadly it, true. And this is, yeah, and if, but if it's not, but if it's not broadly true, then I mean, I think we have to to level our criticisms at specific people and not this broad thing that is being created. This this notion of an intellectual dark web in which Fair people enough. aren't interested in debate. I think in general, my experience is that what they have in common is a shared loathing for a regressive left, as they describe it. People who 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 uh, support identity politics and who are trying in various ways to make certain ideas beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. um, and there, that's a thing. That's a thing that's sure. out there. I think we would all agree um, with that. And I, I've also heard criticisms, generally speaking, from these same people, perhaps not as vocal, um, but consistent criticisms of the alt-right and the racism that emanates from there. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard that. Um and I've heard them debate one another. And I think it's it's just it's fair to acknowledge that all of all of those things seem to be happening. That said, um, what I what I like most about the piece that you have forthcoming, which people have an opportunity to read, is that you really highlight the sort of unique challenges that are associated with being a part of this sort of bleeding edge movement and finding that you have a platform that is speaking to all these people and having to wrestle with the obligations and challenges that that creates for your ass. Like, what, what will you do? How will you manage it? And what responsibility do you have when you're talking to, you know, Lauren Southern for two hours, who is an identitarian... An avowed identitarian. ...nationalist. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I saw this process go through... In a maybe a somewhat broader sense, it wasn't 25 people, it was 225 people um, after 9-11 go through this. And a lot of people, uh, some of whom had never been popular before, like look up Charles Johnson, not the, the troglodyte. The little green football guy. little green football guy. I, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was a consumer of all the war blogs and after, after 2001. My God. I mean, the guy, and he, uh, I was an early sort of like, uh, like 
co-conspirator or friend uh, of him. He was like a this weird, shy, nerdy, Democrat-leading <laughs> jazz musician bass player who played with Al Jarreau in Egypt oh, in the 80s. Is that right? No, that's his backstory, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's why he got so super anti-Islamic, because he had traveled extensively as a touring musician um, with jazz combos, like pop jazz wow. combos in the 80s. Oh, it's a great story, that's right? It's fantastic. And, um, and what he'd has seen— anyone, Real quick, has anyone written the war blog book? No. Matt Welch? Right. It's too late. No, he's doing that. I'm, uh, I, I, I washed my hands of this uh, showily uh, in 2004. Uh, farewell to war blogging. Check it out. Um, but uh, no, he he had seen these worlds and it said, look, there's a lot of just like nutty Islamism and it's really anti-Semitic and it's awful. And then uh, 9-11 happened and he became part of this breach. And a lot of the people who were involved in that kind of uh, web blogging thing saw themselves as being kind of antithetical to what the usual crap that we read in the op-ed pages. That was the most kind of, we're not like that. Like the stuff there, this is a different kind of engagement that we're experiencing. And, and, and we believed, we believed the smell of our own farts that we were like legitimately uh, looking at things in a new way and a newly kind of um, uh, a thoroughgoing transpartisan way where intellectual facts meant more, more and like this honesty and we can deal with each other. Um, and, you know, as things do, you retreat to your kind of political groupings after a while. But Charles Johnson, he went from there making, I think, accurate uh, identifications of the pathologies in the Islamic world and in these, these countries that are horribly uh, cobbled together to like – Issuing Rachel Corey awards every year. Did he really go that far? Yeah, he did. I remember. I know. Illustrated by a pancake. Hmm. <sighs> All right. That's, okay. That's I'm just gonna leave that yikes. there. Um, I mean, uh, if you don't, do, do we need to explain nope, Rachel Corey? Just no. don't. Right, okay. I mean, like no, no, either do there Google or do not. Let them Google it. Um, and Deep like cuts. in 2007 and eight, I forget exactly when he turned on a dime and suddenly was decrying the bigotry that was arising on the right uh, here. And it's like. It's not. I don't know if it was that those exact years. Um, it's not necessarily wrong to turn on the dime nope. or to decry this and this I, kind I of don't, stuff. I have no problem with people like having frenetic uh, changes. But he he engaged in some kind of archives <laughs> cleansing ah. and and other things like that. And 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 but like I saw him turn. He was a guy who didn't exist in public discourse until this moment. Got this gigantic. Following, and he was a really good uh, 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 software designer. So he designed this thing with his comments and voting up and voting down and stuff that was actually mm. kind of a uh, pre Reddit. Uh, mm. It was pre Reddit. It was pre Marcos uh, and Daily Coast uh, stuff that he's done everywhere else. Uh, really kind of innovative. But I saw I saw this on actually more experienced journalists, some of whom were my friends, and I won't name. They got audience captured. Suddenly, you get you get like swollen up in this tide here, and you have to. It's it's really hard to keep your head. Yeah. Anybody uh, and and I think right now the challenge for the uh, the IDW, uh, if we're going to call this new union uh, anything, is that uh, there isn't necessarily a huge connective tissue between everybody. Um, there isn't. Uh, uh, you feel like it's it's something new and special and great, but it's kind of hard to define it all. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're going to assign yourself as the anti-tribalists, mm -hmm. and that's a that's a tribe, that's a thing. Sure. But that's a drive. We should probably get the hell out of here. Let's do it. Um, I want to mention one last thing. Um, we didn't 
do a show last week. Had we done a show last week, I was teed up to to go in on the bagger vance of political commentary. Oh. Tanisi Coates. So I'll allow quoting, it. Quoting myself. Totally true. Um, he materialized and he wrote a column, uh, not a column, uh, a treatise. I know we said it was like 40,000 words, but it was really it was like, it was like 8,000 words, it, right? It felt, it felt longer than it was for it's sure. Incredibly long. Um, probably because there was no editor, um, but... I'm not black. I'm Kanye was the piece. And it was denigrating uh, one Kanye West. um, And it was criticizing him for his pursuit of what the author describes as white freedom, white freedom. Uh, White freedom is having the audacity to do things that are inconsistent with the orthodoxy of the, the, dominant black political perspective, I suppose, at least as prescribed and defined by Mr. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, I thought the piece was not just badly written and not just unimaginative and unenlightened, um, but at times casually totalitarian in a way that is disturbing and awful. It's the racial essentialism that you encounter all of the time, um, but it's also this notion that if you try to escape the phrase that that Coates uses is the dictates of the we. And we all know what the hell dictates means. Mm-hmm. These are these are obligations, responsibilities that you have to carry yourself in a particular way that your talents don't belong to you. They belong to your people as a whole. Um, if you try to behave in a way that suggests otherwise, then you are demanding or invoking the freedom of John C. Calhoun. Really? Yes. It's disgusting. And fuck you. That's not acceptable. And, and an extra special fuck you for Tony C. Coates. And I don't know him personally. And if I met him, I would try so, to have a respectful so conversation him with him. Yeah, it probably won't be. <laughs> but an extra special fuck you to Tony C. Coates for this reason. Days before he published this, this travesty of a piece about, um, about Kanye West, um, who I'm not defending because I agree with Kanye on everything. Um, I just think Tony C.'s piece is awful. That's it. Um, But days before this, there was something published in uh, HuffPo, which was a transcript of a meeting that they had at the Atlantic about the departure of uh, Kevin Williamson from the Atlantic, specifically for the comments that he made about abortion on a podcast long before he was hired there. Um, And in this meeting, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates refers to um, Andrew Sullivan and Kevin Williamson as racist. And to be um, clear, fact, as a, a, a stage setter, mm-hmm. he's on stage with Atlantic editor-in-chief uh, Jeff Goldberg. Right. Yes. It's those two guys uh-huh. talking to the staff. Yeah. And and interestingly, I mean, the, the Andrew Sullivan slight comes out of nowhere. Like, it's not related to the Kevin Williams and stuff. It's just him telling his story and explaining that people who he had to work with in the past, specifically Andrew Sullivan, were, quote, fucking racist. Like their su- perspectives were fucking racist. I suspect it's because the the same week that that meeting happened was the same week that Sam Harris had his debate with Ezra Klein, which dredged up the Charles Murray bell curve thing, mm-hmm. and which dredged Andrew up the Andrew piece. Sullivan right. New Republic excerpt. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I think I've talked about that in the past, whether or not I agree with the perspective that Andrew laid out in his piece um, for um, who's it? Who's it? New York, Mag. New York Mag is who yep. he's been writing those columns for. The, the central point was that these are complicated conversations to have. They're difficult and they're thorny and they're going to get people are going to be emotional about it. 
we ought to be able to, however, to have conversations like this about these challenging things in public. That is the point that he was driving home. Um, whatever, you have to go back and read um, Ta-Nehisi's perspective. I think part of the reason why he took offense is because from his standpoint, any attempt to suggest that there are average group differences with respect to IQ that happen to correspond to race, whatever the hell that is, um, is in fact an attack on his person and is an assertion that he's subhuman. The other thing that he said about Kevin Williamson in particular was that pessimist that he is, Tanahisi, he couldn't imagine a situation where Kevin Williamson could view him as anything other than subhuman. Hmm. Or and, various other people who work at the Atlantic. I'm not. These aren't exaggerations. And, and Tanahisi was a defender of Kevin Williamson's uh-huh. hire. Yeah, uh, because and Kevin he's, Williamson's good. He writer. believed this. He believed this when he was recommending it. Um, but in the room, he acknowledged that this was a profound mistake, and he felt like he had let down his black coworkers. Um, I know Kevin Williamson, and I know Andrew Sullivan. Neither man is a racist. Um, the the assertion that they are is a gross misrepresentation of who they are as human beings and is a deplorable downgrading of the notion of racism that good and decent people should be offended by. But what actually happens is, and I suspect on some level it's because people aren't actually reading the shit that he writes anymore, because at this point your job is to say, if you're a respectable pundit, this is amazing oh my God, Tony E.C. Coates wrote something and it's the best thing I've ever read. Are you fucking kidding? Have you never read anything in your life? Like nothing? Not even a tweet from some 13-year-old? Shit is not very good. If I, if I may just jump in, I got a couple of tweets that- uh, I'm finished yeah. anyways. So no. If I keep going, I'm just going to get no, more upset. And no. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like it, damn yeah. it. Sherilyn Eiffel uh, wrote, so it is here. Brilliant, self-revealing, devastating. Ta-Nehisi Coates on the fall of Kanye. Take the time to read it. She didn't. We can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she obviously did. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, Amber Tamlin, uh, most famous for um, uh, actress on uh, the the Travelhood of the Traveling Pants, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, and Joan of Arcadia. It's been a long time since I've read such a singular devastation of truth. Which is this a piece, stupid phrase. This piece is filled with empathy and understanding and pain. Please read this piece by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Read every last drop because the photo, of course, is Kanye's blackness being washed away by the rain of whiteness. Which is, I mean, it's it's the empathy. It's the empathy piece of that. I mean, devastation of truth is, a, is just a moronic phrase, uh, which is, you know, revealing in ways that she didn't expect it to be or intend it to be. Um, but the other thing about that is that the notion that Ta-Nehisi Coates was demonstrating empathy when he was beating the shit out of Kanye West for saying something stupidly inelegant about slavery in an attempt to make a ham-fisted analogy, that he could say that. Tony E.C. Coates, the guy who wrote about 9-11, and I couldn't be sad about 9-11 because white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Seriously, dude? Like, really? Yeah. You can use your poetic license for that shit? Mm. And that's okay? It's not just okay. It's MacArthur Genius Award level Okay. I mean, and, seriously, and, and if we could talk about get, get, get Ben. And, and if I have to hear one more time about his stupid ass house that he wasn't able to buy for two fucking million dollars in Brooklyn, I'm seriously going to shit myself. Like just 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 because. Are you going to buy that house? No, no, I'm not going to buy that. I house. think you should buy. I would have he moved does, in next d- door. He does mention that house in the in the piece. How many which, times which, can you do and, this? And, and when when so so the reason he didn't buy that house was because some someone got a hold of the address because it is public record, 
And uh, what, and he's so, famous. What and he, people care about and such what, things. But, but, but he also said the reason he had to abandon the purchase of that house is because his dream of being with his uh, wife and child and living a life of block parties and being a member of the community would now be ruined because everyone would know where he lives. Yeah, well, gentrification is already ruining that, so... Well, there here's my challenge to Camille Foster. True. What's up? I'm fucking tired of you, like, being so eloquently on point talking about all the ways the Ta-Nehisi Coates is wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry? I'm fucking tired of it. Okay. Here's why. Uh? He at least writes. Not mm. well, motherfucker. Not well? He vomits out those 85,000 words while mm-hmm. you labor over 850 words, <laughs> send them to your friends who then ignore them. This is true. Like you. Uh, excuse me. No, <laughs> Fisher Fisher doesn't ignore them. You, you and Moynihan do. You give voice to your voice and uh-huh. it's great. People love it. And yeah. they're right to. Uh-huh. However, uh-huh. put the shit on paper. It's put my challenge paper. to you. you are, and, okay. and, 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 and I'll be sure not to send it to you to, next time. To further challenge, <laughs> to, to, to further <laughs> challenge you, 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 you are a better writer than you think. You're a good writer. I'm not. I don't think I'm bad. You know, you, 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 everyone needs yeah. help with structure. I appreciate that. But you're yeah. a good writer. Wow. I don't think I'm bad. Wow. I, I'll tell you what it is. I'm hearing that. Let me tell you. Like kind of let me tell you what it is. A I, over and this is. We can punch out on this. <laughs> it, the, I. No, let's I've, talk about this for the next forty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you my, my personal my personal issues here. Um, my my fe- my feeling about this is that when I get to do the podcast, there is a certain amount of generosity that people have with the spoken word that there is an understanding mm-hmm. about the inelegance of talking that when I am retreating to one of what may seem like my verbal tics saying sort of when I talk, I'm not actually, it's not a verbal tick. I am literally qualifying most of the things that I say because I'm sort of careful about the things that I say and I don't want to overstate things. This is a, this is a, 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 a forceful habit of mine. It's hard to do that when you write. It, it turns especially when you don't have practice. Yeah, it turns everything. No, into seriously, else. it's yeah, it's actually not hard to do when well, you write. I hate the every notion of day. leaving. I'm I'm just saying I hate the notion of leaving anything like a, a loose end that some asshole can grab onto and say, right. yeah, but you didn't say shit about that. I was write like, well, yeah, day. it's it's eight or nine hundred words. You can't write do that. every day, Camille Foster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if you, if we're not going to do Camille twenty twenty. Yeah, the public it's shaming you, of Camille you, for not you, writing. You do, things. you know, you do owe us that. You know, you, I owe you what now? Your, your voice. If you're if, if you're not going to be our president, we do we do need at least uh, we do need at least your contributions in the printed word. I owe word. no man anything. <laughs> all right, let's all drop our mics. Yeah, we should get out of here. It's been a really really long couple of days, but I am glad that I could spend some time with you guys. We still have half a bottle of this True Blue. Which, which you is, guys shied away. Which is yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I, no, no, it's un, scary. unashamedly so, and it's I'm not going to get into my no, personal reasons. Water. No, yeah. we're yeah, bringing yeah. it back yeah. next time yeah. um, with whatever else we bring um yeah moynihan's lips yeah moynihan's diabetes will go great with this uh (laughs) this monster well we kept jack here late enough we should get the hell out of here because i think they're going to charge me for an extra hour um but uh, i enjoyed this bye We, we, we know of new methods of attack the trojan horse